This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off the by lighting up. Oi! From my friends. The star of the show. Oi! Oi! I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Oi! This Oi! is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help. From my friends. 77 WABC. This was an opportunity to speak very clearly and very directly about the fact that China sent a surveillance balloon over our territory, violating our sovereignty, violating uh, international law. And I told him quite simply that that was unacceptable and can never happen again. I also had an opportunity to share our very real concerns about China's support for Russia in that war. In New Jersey, four people were hurt in what appears to be a freak accident at DreamWorks Water Park. State police say a decorative helicopter fell from the ceiling into a pool. Three people were treated for minor injuries and went home. A fourth person was taken to a nearby hospital but is expected to be okay. Former President Jimmy Carter has decided against any further medical treatment and entered home hospice care. Mr. Carter is 98 years old. This weekend, several family members have gathered at the Carter home in Plains, Georgia. A statement released by the Carter Center today announced that Mr. Carter decided to spend his remaining time at home with his family. So it struck me on this President's Day where a lot of folks that would ordinarily be listening right now are not because, well, they're home, teachers and students and even Lou Ruffino. <laughs> but what struck me of the uh, the news stories that my cast puts together every morning before the show, I guess Justin Ellick does uh, most of that, was this story about a helicopter falling into a pool at in New Jersey at the American Dream Mall, nobody died. Nobody was even seriously injured, I don't think. Uh, am I wrong? What's the story with that, boy? No, I mean, it's just, I think it's just a crazy story. How do you, first of all, why are you, why are you uh, suspending a helicopter above above anything? Was this an above, outdoor pool or an indoor pool? No, I think pool? it was an indoor pool. So right. th- this was like a, a decoration inside the mall. It's this big no. helicopter that they have hanging up there. And it fell down into, into this pool and, and <laughs> on. like on top of like four people. And nobody got killed or hurt, thank God. No, but people are in the hospital. Nobody nobody that got hit by the thing is feeling yeah. great today, I'll tell you that much. You know, I I, uh, I went to a Giant game with uh, Gabriel about two months ago, the Giants and Commanders, and we, we drove by that American Dream Mall. I remember when they were building it, what a big deal it was, and huge and exciting, and there was like nobody there. I, I don't know how that place 
stays in business. It is not big. It's huge. You still live down in South Florida, and there was a place called the Sawgrass Mall, and this thing was so big you couldn't even, it would take you days to walk around this. And I think this mall is even bigger in New Jersey. Well, that place stays in business, but uh, nobody died. That's the good news, right? That's the good news. I, it, no. it, it, that place is huge, though. They got a roller coaster huge. inside. They got a they got a ski slope. Yeah, they have a ski slope. Yeah, right. that place is uh, useless. Useless. The most, the most useless That's mall I've ever saying. been to. It's it's actually kind of like uh, off putting when you go in there. It's like white walls everywhere. It looks like purgatory, and it's just there's nothing. Half the building's empty. There's yeah. no there's like empty walls for like aisles. They closed off the entire floor. It's just half empty. And I like malls. You know, I uh, used to live by the Boca Town Center Mall. I lived in West Boca. That was more towards Central Boca. I enjoyed going there. Living in New Jersey, I, I used to go to the Garden State Mall, the you know, the Paramus Plaza. Even growing up as a little kid in Brooklyn, going to King's Plaza was a big deal. I liked the malls. In fact, um, I'm living right now by Brookfield and Westfield uh, Plaza, and I like to shop. Yesterday, I was in that, that mall about ten times. I've never had one desire once to walk into American Dream Mall <laughs> In New Jersey, not once. Well, wasn't, wasn't originally planned when you had uh, the Nets and the Devils playing yeah. every single home game there? And then, obviously, the Nets moved to Brooklyn. The Devils moved to Newark. So, it totally, I mean, there's 82 games that you're not going to get, 82 different crowds that you're not going to get with those two home teams. It's actually 164 there. games, and you consider 82 apiece between the Nets and the Devils. But you're right. They built that uh, then. Mm-hmm. I think they were going to call it, was that the same project as Xanadu? I don't even know. Just uh, it struck me. You know, I mean, obviously, Biden going to the Ukraine, major story. Jimmy Carter, number 39, uh, really on his deathbed. I mean, any second now, that's going to be over. These are all major stories. And a heliplane, a helicopter fell into a pool, an American dream. And well, I like to work in, you know, at least local one story, one local yeah. story yeah. there. It's and a waste of time. Don't ever do that again. It's stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just stupid. <laughs> I mean, you, you could find it. You got Keyshawn Sewell speaking to little kids on right. Saturday. That's a big deal. Yeah. You got the Albany your DA, this guy, your David Suarez, a black man who's on record saying that bail reform, while terrific in theory, has not worked. And black people are the ones that are getting uh, killed. You have all these um, major stories. I mean, to be honest, I considered taking today off, and I was like, you know what? There's too much going on, so I decided not to. But we'll start with uh, President's Day. Andrew Giuliani is here. You know, many years ago, I lived on Hanover Square, and I was walking distance from a place called Franz's Tavern, a very famous bar in Lower Manhattan, which you know very well, Andrew. That is the Fidye District just south of where you and I live now, Battery Park. And what people may not know about that place, Francis Tavern, is that the first White House, before it was in Pennsylvania and Washington, D.C., was right here in New York City. It was George Washington's mansion. And both Washington and Roosevelt did a lot of their deals in that specific bar, still open today, Francis Tavern in Fidei. I've been there many times at Danielle and the Kids. I'm sure you have, too. That's where it all started, right there in Fidei, Washington, New York City. Yeah, absolutely. And if you, uh, you know, for so many of the tourists, but even if... One of the things as a New Yorker you realize, and like I've only been to Liberty Island one time in my life. I've actually been to the Eiffel Tower more times than I've been to Liberty Island because as New Yorkers, sometimes we take this for granted. You mean Ellis Island? Ellis Island and Liberty yeah, Island, yeah, both. Yeah. I've been I've been to Ellis Island three or four times, actually, a couple different events that I went out there for. Uh, my father received an award out there. I remember going there for But actually to the Statue of Liberty, to Liberty Island 
only one different time. But you think about Federal Hall. Federal Hall, actually, which is right on Wall Street, is where Washington was sworn in for the president for the very first time. And you're right, Sid. I mean, Washington, New York was the capital of the United States uh, for the first four years. And then it was Philadelphia. And then, as we know it, the swamp Washington, D.C., when John Adams became the second president. And we did mention uh, Jimmy Carter moments ago, the 39th president, president from 1977 through 1981. If God is good to me, I'll be 56 years old in April. There was never an argument in my life. Jimmy Carter was the worst president. Yes, he did a nice job with Egypt and Israel, Anwar Sadat, all that, Camp David. But uh, you remember 1980, gas lines that lasted blocks and blocks and blocks the boycotting of the Olympics, the hostages in Iran. It was just a really miserable time. And in terms of patriotism, it was at an all-time low. Mm -hmm. It really was. And Ronald Reagan came walking in, and that changed everything. And maybe now Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis will walk in and save us from a very similar period now under Joe Biden. But it uh, it was a sad time for America. But by all accounts, he's a lovely man. Most people agree that the best work Jimmy Carter did was actually, after the presidency, this Habitat for Humanity work he's done, building over 800,000 houses and traveling the world with guys like Bill Clinton and others, saving uh, homeless people and poor people. So, again, nice man. Everybody loves him, but a horrible president. And today being President's Day, I'm going to have a hard time celebrating 39. If, God forbid, he dies, I'll feel horrible about that, but... Hard to celebrate 39 on this specific day. You know, when I read this story, Sid, I thought that I can't believe that this guy actually has lived 43 years post-presidency. Yeah. You wonder if there's going to ever be a president that's going to be like that. Obama was a youngish president. If DeSantis were to get elected, he'd be a youngish president. So you'd have to get elected into your 40s. Uh, and to, to, because you think about it, the presidency ages you so fast. I mean, you look at the before and after pictures. Uh, obviously, I'm biased on this, but the one guy who actually didn't look like he aged very much in the last few presidents is Trump. Trump looked like he actually kind of stayed the same age. But you look at the pictures of Obama, of Bush, of Clinton, right? They just look like they got, you know, 20 years older in the eight years that they were in the presidency. It's true. Jimmy is uh, now 98 years old to Andrew's point. And if Donald Trump wins again, if he does, he'll be about like 78 years old, and Joe Biden is going to run at 82 years old. So DeSantis would be that guy that could uh, eventually serve, excuse me, have 30 or 40 years after he serves. But uh, Jimmy decided now to do the hospice at home, doesn't want to die in a hospital, wants to be like, I respect all that. But he did speak uh, years ago when he was sick about the same situation, about getting hospice care. Let's take a listen back to 39 Jimmy Carter on this President's Day. You know, I, I've had a, a wonderful life. I've had thousands of friends, and and uh, I've had an exciting and adventurous and gratifying existence. There it is, Jimmy Carter, once again, in very critical condition at home, going through hospice, 98 years old. He was the 39th president of the United States. I was watching uh, Trey Gowdy, Andrew, mm-hmm. last night. And uh, don't ask me why, but I was. I must have been really bored. And I, I went off it quickly. Trust me. I, I watched seven hours of Rocky yesterday. It was a Rocky marathon, and I watched two, three, four, and then somewhere in five, I'm like, I've had enough. Yeah. Uh, and then I started watching a little bit of Fox News. Then I went to Real Housewives, Criminal Minds, all of it. But I caught Gowdy. I thought he was very interesting. He said, you know, Ronald Reagan is the best president of my lifetime. And he said, I don't think, and I'm going to bring this up with Katsimatidis later, too. I don't think that Ronald Reagan could win today because he was too civil. 
because he had no issue working with Tip O'Neill. He won every state except for one. He said Ronald Reagan would be too civil to win today. And they wanted to talk about all the ugliness, mostly by our guy Trump, who doesn't stop, whether it's Ron DeSantis or last week Nikki Haley. He doesn't stop. And this attack on every Republican, when you're a Republican, although not completely new, in numbers for Trump is completely new. And that was Gowdy's point last night, that Reagan would not even win today. Your thoughts yeah, on that's, that? Yeah, that's a fascinating take. I never really kind of thought about it that way. You know, when Reagan was uh, a candidate, uh, many thought that he was too radical, that he was yeah. too conservative, which yeah. is kind of amazing to think when you go back as kind of this great uniter and a guy who really, uh, when you look at the so you know, it's funny, you mentioned Rocky Four, and I joke around with my wife all the time. I said the real history behind Rocky Four is that Sylvester Stallone actually brought down that wall with, <laughs> when he beat Ivan Drago. I did, but, I did think about that last night when he made that ridiculous speech in the ring after he beat Drago. I and he's like, we can change you everything. Can change. And yeah, right now, of course, the relationship with Russia and all these countries right. is so bad. But that was cute years ago. But continue your point. You're about to say <laughs> well, that. Well, uh, going back to Jimmy Carter for a second, you know, one of the things that I think is so relevant right now is the Carter-Baker Commission. And this was about 16, 17 years ago that he did talking about the importance of securing elections in foreign countries. And a lot of what Jimmy Carter, obviously a Democratic president, and James Baker, a Republican Secretary of State, I believe also a chief of staff under Reagan, or maybe it was uh, Bush, the first Bush, uh, saying that, look, we cannot trust mail-in voting. They actually made sure that they had ink stamped your finger to vote because they wanted to make sure that elections in foreign countries were as secure and as trustworthy as possible. A lot of those things in the commission, it's worth back going and giving a reread for Jimmy Carter right now. Uh, we've passed in the United States of America in some of our democratic states, and you could very easily say that our elections are less secure just by going through this bipartisan commission in the United States of America than they are in many foreign countries. That may be true. I'm a little tired of that uh, conversation, to be honest. But it is true. I think you are right about that. I think it's that. worth rereading the commission, though, because I yeah, think they is. lay it out that in a is. way that's yes. bipartisan, that's so important, that really looks at this and says, how can we make sure our elections are secure? Not left, not right, not the results of election, but saying, right. how do we make sure that elections are trustworthy? No, that's fair. Uh, you know, the uh, the Trump-DeSantis thing that we just uh, kind of mentioned, the ugliness where Republicans attack Republicans, something, again, that... The point from Gotti last night was wouldn't have happened with Reagan years ago. And he's right about that. This is a truth social, I guess, post from Donald Trump this weekend about Ron DeSantis. He says, and I quote, I will never call Ron DeSanctimonious Meatball Ron as the <laughs> fake news. And, and you know what? It's not even funny anymore. It's actually sad. I mean, I don't even laugh because it's really stupid. And it's may, this may cost him the election as the fake because people love Ron DeSantis more and more every day. He's on your team. Figure it out. Mm -hmm. He's acting like a complete baby and a jerk. Figure it out. I will never call Ron DeSanctimonious meatball Ron as the fake news is insisting I will. Even though Fox News killing lightweight Paul Ryan is revered by him, low energy Jeb Bush is his hero and always at his side. His beaches and state were closed for long periods of time, his testing, testing, testing for the China virus didn't work out too well. And his loyalty skills are really weak. It would be totally inappropriate to use the word meatball as a moniker for Ron Trump. You sound like a moron, like yeah, a moron. I uh, look, I love President Trump. I think Trump loses support every single time he attacks Ron DeSantis because you see the job that they've done down there. It is amazing. 
Uh, it continues to get more and more New Yorkers, more people from blue states, from Illinois, from California, are moving to Florida because DeSantis has put together uh, really an amazing place for freedom. Now, I, I remember seeing this during the pandemic more than anything, going from Washington, D.C., after January uh, 20th of 2021, uh, feeling free in Florida, then coming back to New York and feeling that same uh, government control that you felt in D.C. that you feel in New York. DeSantis is actually here in New York today. Mm-hmm. He is starting his uh, salute to police tour. He's with our mutual friend, Andrew Paul DiGiacomo, who is a great guy. I love Paul DiGiacomo. And I think most people think the salute to police tour is the beginning of what's going to be a presidential run mm-hmm. for DeSantis. He hasn't announced it officially yet. Right now we've got two. We've got Trump. We've got Haley. But the salute to police tour on Staten Island with Paul DiGiacomo today, most people think is the kickoff for a presidential run for Ron DeSantis. I think you're right. Look, he's going and he's picking these liberal cities like New York and Chicago that, uh, frankly, have crime has gotten worse. Crime has uh, relatively gotten a lot worse in Chicago than it has in New York. But we've seen violent crime going up over the last five years and continually going up in New York. And I think he's, he's there's a very real juxtaposition about the safety that you feel in the state of Florida, for the most part, it still has its bad areas, which you probably know about better than I do even, Sid. But uh, when you look at uh, now the stats, you are more likely to be the victim of violent crime in New York than you were just a few years ago. And I think it's directly because of the public policy, because of the lack of leadership uh, that's come out of Albany. Joy Behar, you're 100% right, by the way, Andrew. Joy Behar still has no issues mauling Ron DeSantis the lead wench on television, all three of them, her, Goldberg, and Hostin, are all just disgusting people. I mean, disgusting. It's an unwatchable show. I, I, I've, uh, I've watched a few minutes. I've watched a few minutes, like once a quarter, I feel like, and it's just, it's terrible. It's the yeah. worst. I can't even get through to the commercial break. And, and look, you're not the demographic. They don't care about yeah, you. They, they want your wife watching the yeah. show, the lovely Z, and millions of people like your wife do watch the show. I mean, they do get a, a, a decent-sized audience, not immense, right. but a decent-sized audience, but the hate on that show, the and the bias is just so outrageous. He might slap me if I watched that show. Yeah, I would think <laughs> Danielle would slap me too. So the beautiful Danielle. Some people don't like it when I say that. F you, the beautiful my, Danielle. My wife loves it when you say that. Every, everybody gets, does. My you, wife you, loves. Listen, it. you got to be one nasty son of a bitch if you get upset that somebody calls their wife. Beautiful. One nasty son of a bitch. Yeah. Here's a Joy Behar calling DeSantis all kinds of horrible things. Actually. Now, now, Joy Behar and Donald Trump have something in common. They both publicly take out Ron DeSantis. Now, if you're Donald (laughs) Trump, you never want to be in the same sentence as Joy Behar. Here's uh, Joy just uh, on Friday taking out Ron DeSantis. Cut number 17. They, these people, these fascists out there like DeSantis, they think that we're just going to sit back and let them do whatever they want. No, we're not. We've been we've seen this movie before, okay? Those of us who lived in the 60s and 70s, yeah. we saw this movie. There was many, there were many, many fascist te- uh, tactics coming down the, the pike from Nixon and the rest of these fascists. That's what they are. And, and we protested and we protested and we ended a war that was illegal. Yeah. And we, we did stuff and it's happening again. So if you know the word fascist, yeah. and you know the meaning, which you do, Andrew, of uh, the of a fascist, you know what's ironic about that is she's calling Ron DeSantis a fascist when, in fact, you, Joy, you are the epitome of an actual fascist. Yeah, absolutely. They continue to push for these fascist policies, these lockdowns. 
getting people fired because of a mandate. I mean, it's it's amazing what uh, but really what they're doing is they are projecting themselves on somebody else. And this has worked for the liberal media for so many people. and It's torn so many people down. Trump figured this out in 2016. DeSantis has figured this out now. And I think it's just the same old, same old from an old crow who just continues to squawk, and nobody gives a you-know-what about you, Joy, except for maybe your small listener base. All know. right, uh, viewer base, actually. Viewer base, it's true. Yeah, we got a, uh, big... I can't watch it. That's why I listen. <laughs> I can't see her. It's just so terrible. <laughs> you get all the cuts right here. We've got a big uh, guest list coming up today. Andrew, as we usually do on a Monday morning, we'll start at 7.05 with the boss himself, the great John Katsimatidis, host of Cats Roundtable, 8 a.m. every Sunday morning, and, of course, 5 p.m. every weeknight, Cats at Night, John Katsimatidis, Talking about President's Day, coming up at 7.05, 7.40, the editor of the National Review, my dear friend, Rich Lowry, will be here. 8.25, Noam Layden with Noam's Nuggets. Coming up at 8.40, the great constitutional attorney, Alan Dershowitz. And at 9.05, we'll talk to Fox News doctor, Dr. Mark Siegel. Plus, we'll play Sid's Take coming up at 9.40. Got a lot of sports this weekend. All the news you need, the number is always one 800 848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. Sid Rosenberg, Andrew Giuliani, and the whole crew. It's the Monday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning. And we'll be right back. There's a place I like to hide. A doorway that I run through the night. 7-WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Name at 6.30 on your President's Day Monday right here on the number one Nielsen-rated news talk show in New York City, the self-proclaimed best talk show anywhere in America. That's me, that's us, sitting friends in the morning, and I say that very, very proudly. So last night as I was going through the TV guide, I did notice that Chris Wallace, formerly of Fox News, then he went to uh, CNN, I guess he's still there now, he had some uh, special CNN deal that went awry. 
but he was going to have uh, Mayorkas on, Mr. Border himself. And for a second, I thought maybe I should watch this. And then uh, I decided to go to Real Housewives of New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) But the good news is, is that Andrew Giuliani did watch it. And I do have all this Alejandro Mayorkas audio. And one of the things that we talked about when Kevin McCarthy was taken over was he said, not only am I getting Schiff and Swalwell and Omar, all these folks off their committees, but I think it's a good idea to impeach everybody. Biden, but start with Mayorkas, because what he's done at the border is absolutely criminal. What's criminal? He's lied. He has absolutely lied. The border is not closed. People are dying. So the beginning of the conversation, Chris Wallace talked to Mayorkas about the possible, the possible impeachment. If it was to happen, by the way, he would be the first cabinet member, Mayorkas, to be impeached in 150 years. This is Chris Wallace and Mayorkas. Cut number 14. If House Republicans go ahead, you could be the first cabinet secretary to be impeached since 1876. I guess my response is twofold. Uh, Number one, I'm not going to resign. There's a tremendous amount of work to do, and we are doing it, and I'm incredibly (laughs) proud to do it alongside and in in support of 260,000 extraordinary personnel in the Department of Homeland Security, number one. Number two... I call upon Congress, as the president has done, as this nation has done, to actually fix an immigration system that has been broken for decades. All right. He says uh, they're doing the job. There's lots more to do. Of course, there's lots more to do. There's a ton to do because they've completely failed, completely failed. Fentanyl coming in every day, you know, terrorists and bad guys. I think they arrested. There was like a prison. They allowed all the prisoners to leave like two weeks ago. They all came into the United States. And this guy's an absolute joke. You know, you watch The Real Housewives of New Jersey, and I'm not an expert like you are on that show, but I have no doubt that they could help secure the border far better (laughs) than my orchestra. But let's get uh, Teresa, Dolores, and Melissa on the job. They do a better job, not even close, and (laughs) I don't even really watch the show. You're right about that. Then they go on here, Wallace and Mayorkas, Andrew, and they talk about the security at the border. Mm -hmm. And to Chris Wallace's credit, because he's a turncoat and a backstabber and he's completely full of it and i've lost a lot of respect for chris wallace but at least during this conversation like you said andrew he actually did press mayorkas this is wallace and mayorkas justin cut number 15 when you say it's what does secure mean to you it certainly doesn't mean that people aren't able to get across the border illegally of of course not that is that but by that measure the border (laughs) has never been secure right um since the department of homeland security was created Individuals have evaded. So, so by what measure is it secure now, sir? So there, there is not a common definition uh, <laughs> of that. If one looks at the statutory definition, the literal interpretation of the statutory language, if one person successfully evades law enforcement uh, at the border, uh, then we have breached the security of the border. Yeah. This exactly. is a freak show. Uh, one person, they've had <laughs> upwards of hundreds of thousands, millions so didn't he right there indict himself? Yeah, and I think one of the things that, uh, for perspective, in watching this, Chris Wallace brought up, a, brought up a graphic, and he asked Mayorkas to actually respond to this graphic, and he showed border, uh, it showed actual interactions between the Border Patrol uh, and legal aliens in 2020 versus 2022. In 2020, Trump's last year as president, there was 450,000. 
in 2022, there was 2.2 million. So five you're talking times. five times. Yeah. You're talking and, five and yet times. when you talk to Mayorkas about what the issue is, and look, you can't argue over the last 20-something years, for as critical as I am about Trump, the way he treats DeSantis and this ridiculous thing he's got beating up his own people, say that for the Democrats. Truth is, no one did a better job with the border than Donald Trump, maybe yeah. ever, maybe ever. Yeah. And that doesn't stop people like Mayorkas and Biden and Harris from blaming Trump for what's going on today, which, of course, is false and ridiculous. He does it again right here. Wallace and Mayorkas, Justin Ellick, cut number 16. Migrants believe there's an open border. Chris, have you heard some of our um, political leaders speak about the border and communicate that the border is open? I don't think the more than 1.5 million people who have been removed or expelled uh, from the border would consider the border open, but political leaders um, communicate that the border is open. That is music to the smugglers' ears, and the smugglers themselves so, wait, spread. Wait, wait, wait. You're going to blame Chris. this all on Republican oh, absolutely critics? Not. Absolutely I mean, you're not, not going to say that, that the administration and the Chris. policies on Remain in Mexico or Title 42 or stopping construction of the wall, that that had no impact? Chris, uh, that's not what I said. I'm just, I'm just citing for you a few things, and please allow me. <laughs> He's lost. <laughs> He's Number lost. One, yeah. Uh, Good job they, by Chris Wallace. They use that rhetoric. Number two, we're dealing with smuggling organizations that are far more sophisticated than, the, than they were when I prosecuted them for 12 years as an assistant United States attorney and as the United States attorney. Maybe well, the worst I've ever heard. Yeah. Well, even a registered Democrat like Chris Wallace, which Chris Wallace was, remember, and people forget about this because they associate him with Fox News, but Chris Wallace actually interned and worked for a while uh, in the Democratic House Committee back in the 60s and early 70s. So he's a registered Democrat, was a registered Democrat. He may be an independent right now. Even he had to push back on this because the numbers just don't lie on this. I think actually he showed that graphic before that last cut that you just played when Mayorkas tried to blame it off on Republican rhetoric and say, no, it's it's them who's sending the signals down to Mexico. No, it's not. It's the fact that your policies and everything that Joe Biden said on the campaign trail was we're going to open up the border to everybody right there. That's what it was. It wasn't everybody in the, you know, Republicans in the House. It wasn't Donald Trump saying this. It was it was Joe Biden on the campaign trail saying, if I get elected president, come on over. And guess what? After he got sworn in, they said, let's come on up because Joe Biden told us to come on up and the border's open. All right, traffic is coming up next. Don't forget John Katsimatidis. We'll start our guest list today. We've got four great guests today. He's coming up at 7.05 to celebrate President's Day. His thoughts on the presidency, where it is today. But right now it's time for the 77 WABC Clip of the Day and talking about John Katsimatidis. It's from his great Sunday morning 8 a.m. show, the Katz Roundtable, where common sense prevails. Once again, starting every Sunday morning at 8, he does tell both sides of the story. Here John talks with Rance Priebus, who I did see last night with Trey Gowdy as well. This is John and Rance, cut number one. Rona uh, McDaniel on uh, last week, she says she thinks it might be as many as 15, 16 people running. And she plans to have debates starting maybe this summer. Yeah, I, I think that that's right. As you recall, I went through the same thing in 2015. And one of the things that you've got to do, and I know Ron is going to do, is, you know, you have to really play things straight. You have to be very clear with all the candidates what the rules are, and you get them out early. How do you qualify for a debate? Is it a combination of polling and fundraising? So in other words, not just are you polling well in Iowa and New Hampshire, but are you raising money from enough people that shows the world that you're actually a real candidate? 
This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. Sports sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to peerlessboilers.com, paviliontankless.com for a deal near you. They are America's best built boilers. Let's begin on the ice here where the Devils protected their home ice in the form of a 4-2 victory over the Winnipeg Jets. Miles Wood found the back of the net almost halfway through the third period for the eventual game winner. And with the win, New Jersey picks up a couple of points on the idle first place Hurricanes and now sit just three points removed from the Metropolitan Division's top spot. The Devs will be back on the ice tomorrow night when they welcome in the Montreal Canadiens. As for the Rangers and Islanders, they'll both be back in action tonight for respective 7 p.m. puck drops. The Blue Shirts are set to host the aforementioned Jets. Well, the Isles will be out in Pittsburgh to face off with the Penguins. And NBA All-Star Weekend in Salt Lake City, Utah, saw Team Giannis, best team LeBron, by a score of 184-175 to in the first two 182-game format. Eventual game MVP Jason Tatum poured in 55 points on 22 of 31 from the field and set the record for most points in an All-Star game, edging out Anthony Davis's 52 points in 2017. Both the Knicks and the Nets will return to the court Friday night to begin their second half pushes. Here with sports, again, sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com for a dealer near you. I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Oi! This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. about 44 minutes old. We discuss everything from the origins of President's Day to George Washington's first White House being in New York, serious condition of 39 Jimmy Carter, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, Mayorkas, the border. So I've gone about 45 minutes without talking about myself and Maybe I'll just save that. I don't know. <laughs> I know you're you're on a, you're on a hot you're on a hot roll here. I am. What are those people that are tuning in for the six o'clock hour going to do if you don't mention anything about yourself? This I mean that, that's what I, that's why I thought people listen to uh, talk radio, yeah. especially especially the really entertaining, colorful host. But what do I know? You that's know, what that's why I my wife tunes in, so she's going to be like, "What the, Sid's off today? What's <laughs> right. going on?" And up with the politics. I mean, geez, I could hear that twenty hours a day. <laughs> but uh, there is some important stuff like this story, Andrew. You'd agree, Joe Biden making an impromptu, I guess, or surprise visit to see Zelensky in the Ukraine. In fact, I believe just yesterday, Blinken, his secretary of state, was asked on MSNBC if Joe Biden had any plans of going to the Ukraine anytime soon. Yesterday, I think Blinken said no. Yeah. Is that possible? Yeah, it probably is. I mean, it probably is. A, it's a probably security protocol where they probably try to uh, 
just kind of throw everybody off the scent of this thing. But the thing that's interesting, I'm looking back at the monitors behind us. Uh, the Biden administration did not tell, obviously, Fox News they, was going, they were going there. It doesn't look like they told MSNBC. But Caitlin Collins, who normally does the morning show now for CNN, is over there in Poland, they say. But they're saying CNN on scene. So I oh, think they tipped may have known. CNN off yeah. on this. Yeah, well, they didn't tip off Don Lemon, I'll tell you that. No, because going back to that story on Friday, Don Lemon was not there on Friday, and yes, you guessed right, Don Lemon is not there today. So maybe CNN is finally going to rid themselves. Look, I am not for the cancel culture. I have been fired, suspended, publicly humiliated, which means my wife and kids suffer the same public humiliation in this business time and time again. It's ugly, and uh, most people don't deserve it. Uh, I did. I am accountable for my actions. I said some things that were offensive, I admit it. But um, I'm not into firing people necessarily, but he needs to be fired. This guy is a racist, clearly a misogynist and a chauvinist. And it's one thing for me to do it. This is a dopey talk show, which gets huge ratings, by the way. He gets no ratings, none, and he's on a serious news show. So don't tell me, well, Sid, you say this. Complete, two complete different situations. Yes, we discuss very serious topics here, and I can do it as well as anybody, anybody, whether it's Bill O'Reilly or a former president, but that's not what the show is necessarily about. Don Lemon, he has a news journalistic responsibility. Yeah, well, I look at Don Lemon, too, as a, as a leftist parrot. You know, he's going to repeat basically exactly what the left wants him to repeat, and I think that's why... Probably the move from late night, which, by the way, you're absolutely right. He had no ratings, and that's why they moved him to early morning, is probably so tough for him because you know this better than anything else, Sid. When you're early morning, right, you are the one who has the first take on an issue. And that's very difficult. It's a lot easier to do it at night when you've heard five or six people give their take and say, okay, this person says this. I can equate kind of where I want to be politically on the spectrum with this person, and I'll copy this. Now he actually has to be the first person out there giving that take. And Don Lemon doesn't have the ability or the talent to be able to do that beyond the misogynist and sexist stuff. The guy is an untalented bum. Agreed. And to your point, that's exactly why I do mornings. I've been offered afternoon gigs. I did it once in Miami. It was a very, very popular Miami afternoon host. His name was Jim Mandich. Right. And he was the starting tight end on the undefeated Dolphin team in 72-73. In fact, on those great Bob Greasy teams, Larry Zonka, Mercury Morris, Paul Warfield, Mandich out of Michigan was one of the most popular and uh, qualified players on that team. He went on to become the analyst voice of the Dolphins, and he is beloved and revered in Florida. And he died. And my boss came to me and said, listen, No one can replace Mandich. You're the closest we've got, even though you're New York by nature. That's the only time I did afternoons. Otherwise, given the choice, getting up at 3.30 in the morning is miserable. You never get used to it. There's nothing good about it. But to your point, I get to this stuff first. Yeah. I love that. Love that. But it takes amazing talent to be able to do it, right? I mean, to be able to really get out there and have the first take on this stuff. Oh, not uh, always. I mean, look at guys like uh, Berman and Riedel on WOR. Hardly true. amazing talent. <laughs> amazing talent to be successful in <laughs> well, giving the first go. take, that's right? Bad. Anybody that's... can actually have their take and be like, hey, you that's know. That's how you do it. Yeah. It's like people go, radio's not difficult. That's true. Anybody can sit down and put a microphone on, right. spouse their opinions and yell and scream, get big ratings, consistently do that type of thing, sell. That's a whole other story. And we're back to ourselves now. So we were able to do it by the end of the 6 o'clock hour. So there you go. For all those listening for it, congratulations. Thank you. So Biden is uh, in the Ukraine. And you know how I feel about this. I think we've given these people way too much money. I am the first. I'm a very sensitive guy. I'm the first to cry on this show all the time. Mm -hmm. 
seeing pictures and videos of dead husbands and wives and kids at Putin's hand breaks my heart, breaks my heart. But at this point, the amount of money and weapons that we've given these people, ridiculous. I don't know how you debate it. Ridiculous. But it continues. And Joe Biden made the point today in Ukraine, his surprise visit with Zelensky, that this is so much bigger than just Ukraine. This is Joe Biden, cut number 22. For all the disagreement we have in our Congress on some issues, uh, there is a significant agreement on support for Ukraine. And this is so much larger than just Ukraine. It's about freedom and democracy in Europe. It's about freedom and democracy at large. And, uh, and uh, all the American people, I, I know that uh, so many have kept... Uh, Ukrainian people, particularly women and children, in their prayers. They can't fathom the idea of the shelling night and the shelling of everything from orphanages to, to schools to the like. It's barbaric. Boy, that is rough. But you did, he did say it's about freedom. What's going on is barbaric. This is much bigger than just the Ukraine. Your thoughts on what he said there? Well, I think he went over there because Burisma had a quarterly meeting and Hunter <laughs> needed a ride from what I had heard there. So Big he wanted to make sure he got the, exactly, he wanted to make yeah. sure he had the Air Force One ride. Seriously, in, in all this, uh, look, I, I'm a believer in supporting Ukraine if we can see a line by line of where all that money is going, the fact that we are throwing 40, 50, 100 billion dollars at Ukraine and really don't really know where on earth this is going. We're throwing cash. I talked to I talked to my good friend Cash Patel on this uh, and he's very clear. He's like so much of this money is just cash that we'll never be able to account for. That's not fair to American taxpayer dollars. Also, we mentioned Mayorkas earlier in the hour over here. It's amazing how much attention has been shown to Ukraine by the Biden administration, how little attention actually has been to securing our border. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, the last bill that we put together, that Biden put together, right. had money going to Jordan yeah. and Egypt yeah. and all these Middle Eastern countries to protect their borders. Nothing here. I mean, really, it's it's unbelievable when you think about it. I, I believe, honestly, in, in talking to some people that I know in the Pentagon, including Cash on this, uh, that we could support Ukraine the same way that we're doing, the same effectiveness, at a tenth of the cost. Of course. That, that, I mean, no liter- question. Literally, it's like about a 90 percent, uh, I guess, drip through in yeah. terms of losing that money that we're sending over there. So $5 billion, $10 billion, understandable. Sure. $100 billion? No. I mean, come on. We have no money. Yeah. We have a huge deficit, huge deficit in the trillions. Mm-hmm. We have supply chain issues. We have, I mean, the, the country is about to head into a pretty serious recession. Who the F are we to give anybody else $100 billion? Mm-hmm. Who are we? Here he uh, talked about more sanctions, Andrew, against Russia coming to a theater near you. Joe Biden cut number 23. Later this week, we will announce additional sanctions. Oh, against elites and companies that are trying to evade sanctions and backfill Russia's war machine. And thanks to bipartisan support in Congress, this week we're delivering billions in direct budgetary support, billions in direct budgetary support, which the government can put to use immediately and help provide for basic services of citizens. The cost that Ukraine has had to bear has been extraordinarily high. And the sacrifices have been far too great. They've been met with them and far too great. So one more, Andrew. Here he talks about how Putin's grand plan was to basically wipe the Ukraine off the map. Here he's actually right. 
Putin's plan has not gone the way he wanted it to. It's bankrupted Russia. They've lost a ton of military. He's right about that. Joe Biden cut number 24. We mourn alongside the families of those who've been lost to the brutal and unjust war. We know that there'll be very difficult days and weeks and years ahead. But Russia's aim was to wipe Ukraine off the map. Putin's war of conquest is failing. Russia's military has lost half its territory it once occupied. Young, talented Russians are fleeing by the tens of thousands, not wanting to come back to Russia. Not, not just fleeing from the military, huh? fleeing from Russia itself. <laughs> because they see no future in their country. Russia's economy is now a backwater, isolated and struggling. Oh, my God. He, he, is, he is actually overselling it a little bit in the sense that Russia and China have actually have an alliance. And so Russia, while they certainly have economic struggles that they didn't have 18 months ago, uh, it, I wouldn't call them the backwater. I think that's the words that he used, actually, from an economic standpoint. And part of that is because they found alliances in other places. Look, I have a bit of a personal connection to this in the sense that my wife's family is from Lithuania. And a lot of people were looking at the Baltics as potentially the next place for the Russians to go. I can tell you from a perspective there, what Trump tried to do with NATO was to get more countries to put more money in to buy in here. Look, we can defend the Ukraine at the cost of five, as I said before, Five to ten billion dollars, saving ninety percent of that money if we knew where that money is going. The problem is that hundred billion dollars that we're sending over there, it's disappearing, and we're not sure exactly where it's going. In we deserve a line by line account as taxpayers. Hour number one in the books. We have about three big hours to come. An exciting seven o'clock hour about to come your way. The man himself, John Katsimatidis, seven o five celebrating President's Day. The man himself, Katz at night, Katz round table. Then 725, your Monday morning Bill O'Reilly message. And then, of course, the editor of the National Review, 740 every Monday morning, Rich Lowry. A big 7 o'clock hour about to come your way on this, the Monday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off even by lighting up. Oi! From my friends. The star of the show. Oi! Oi! I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Oi! This Oi! is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Listening to the open that the very talented Chris Libertini put together for Sid and Friends in the morning. 
Kelly Rippers in there says, uh, you know, I spoke to this very famous host in New York City, WABC's Sid Rosenberg, Kelly Ripper, not exactly a conservative. And then you hear Joe Biden not once but twice in that open. Ironic when you consider what political side of the aisle I'm on and most of our guests are on. But at any rate, we mentioned the fact that Joe Biden on this President's Day, the current president, number 46, uh, he's just left Kiev. He made this surprise visit to the Ukraine. But Fox News is reporting that uh, John Kirby, John Kirby was denying that Joe Biden was on his way to the Ukraine when, in fact, Joe Biden was already in the air. So I don't know what the big secret is, what John Kirby and Tony Blinken and these tards are uh, worried about or what they're trying to hide. But the guy's in the air on the way to Ukraine. And John Kirby says, nope. He's here. Why? What is that? It might be security protocol. So that, that's that might be why they're kind of trying to throw people off the scent in some kind of way. Look, I, I told you before, it's obvious they tipped off CNN. So they were tipping off some people and, and they were they're, they're definitely picking winners yeah. and losers on this one. So but uh, of all the questions I have for John Kirby, I mean, we could start with the balloons on this stuff and say, like, hey, what where are we from a surveillance standpoint oh, here in terms of our skies? So yeah. I, I, I look at this and just say. Uh, I think it's just more incompetence from uh, a Biden White House that's uh, pretty standard. I, I uh, To be honest, of, of all the things I can get upset about, there's a lot. This one doesn't bother me as much as about 5,000 other things. <laughs> I can't argue that. John Katzmatidis, of course, is the owner and operator of this station. He's become a dear, 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 dear friend of mine and my family. Does a tremendous job every weekday afternoon at 5 o'clock, Cats at night, and, of course, has that great uh, Cats roundtable show Sunday mornings, at 8, and while I'm number one in the morning, and get ready for a huge monthly number to come out tomorrow. Huge. John is also number one, 5 o'clock every day. Here he is, the great John Katsimatidis on this President's Day. Happy President's Day, John Katsimatidis. Well, happy President's Day. Here I am at 7.05. Am I taking Am I taking Curtis's uh, time slot at 7.05? Yes, he's, he's supposed to be on. Now, this is the second consecutive week. Last week, John, was Lincoln's birthday. Today is Washington's birthday. So you've taken Curtis's slot two weeks in a row, and I couldn't be happier. <laughs> I, I need a scoreboard. I want. I need a scoreboard. Who's arguing with who? Who <laughs> no arguing with Curtis? Uh, you arguing with Andrew? You arguing with? Uh, uh, I mean, do, do we have a scoreboard of who's arguing with who? No, but that's the beauty. That's why people. You see, in talk radio, people like a little uncomfortable every now and then, and certainly Curtis provides that, especially with Bo. Here's one thing I can tell you: you and I, John, not arguing. In <laughs> fact, we're on the same page about ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time. And that does bring us to this president on this President's Day. He's number 46. You've been around for lots of presidents, John. And I know 39 is very, very ill right now. Jimmy Carter, very, very ill. And for my life, he was far and away the the, the least effective president I've ever seen. I think Biden has gone past Carter now as the worst president in my lifetime. How about you, John Katsimatidis? Well, look, Jimmy Carter was a graduate of Annapolis, and he was a, a very, very smart guy. He made a lot of mistakes, but there, there was no doubt that uh, uh, President Carter loved America, and he was a real American. And uh, I just, uh, with President Biden, uh, I have respect for him as the president of the United States, but I have concerns. I have concerns about uh 
his uh, son's involvement with uh, with China. I have concerns on why he's not enforcing the borders. Uh, so I have some major concerns. And, and you know, you can't forget uh, what uh, Secretary uh, Gates once said. Secretary Gates was one of our most important uh, defense secretaries, served eight administrations. And he once said that President Biden or, or Biden uh, himself in in eight administrations has made mostly wrong decisions. And I'm I'm concerned about people that make wrong decisions consistently. And, and look, I, I respect him as the president of the United States, but I, I have concerns. That's, that's the nicest way. That's I fair. Say. I mean, Gates did say that. And don't forget Barack Obama, who was his main man for eight years, said don't ever underestimate Joe Biden's ability to F things up. That came from Barack Obama. And that's why, if you remember, when Joe Biden was trying to win that Democrat nomination years and years ago, Obama was nowhere to be found. He all of a sudden showed up when Biden was going to win. But for the longest time, even Super Tuesday, you could not find Barack Obama because the truth is he didn't respect Joe Biden either. So it seems like over the years, his own people, John, have no issue leveling Joe Biden. The other major story this morning uh, that uh, Prospect Park Lake, they got an alligator out of it. No. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> how, how the heck was there an alligator in Prospect Park Lake? Uh, a big one. As a, as a, you know, as the father of a little girl, that scares the you know what out of me here, John. I, I you remember what remember what happened in Disney World? You know. I was yeah. there. I was actually really? there. That was, uh, right, uh, believe it or not, that one weekend in Disney, yeah. that was the same weekend when the alligator ate that person really? as the Pulse nightclub shooting. Oh, wow. That was the same weekend. I was actually there that weekend. It was terrible. You know, um, John, we, we, we spoke here about uh, Joe Biden. We were speaking about Jimmy Carter. I was watching Fox News last night, and Trey Gowdy, who was once a politician out of South Carolina, said this, and I want your take on this. He said, in my lifetime... The best president has been Ronald Reagan. And he said Ronald Reagan would have a very difficult time winning today because he was too civil. And what he meant was, he said, look, you look at Donald Trump, his own side. He's maligning Ron DeSantis, Republican. He's maligning Nikki Haley, Republican. He said Reagan would never do that. He goes, it's one thing to go after the competition. He said, but Ronald Reagan would not win today because he was too civil. What are your thoughts on that? Well, well, let me tell you, I think we're going to place it on the WABC website, on WABCradio.com. Uh, George Washington, our first president, had 110 rules on civility and code of decency that he lived by. And I think that's, I think that's one of the most important people, uh, we, uh, our first president, and that's what we're celebrating actually tomorrow is his actual birthday. Mm-hmm. Today we're celebrating President's Day. Tomorrow is George Washington's actual birthday. And uh, right now we are in a crisis mode in civility. Uh, what happened to the days where, where Democrats and Republicans, they argued with each other, but at, at 6 o'clock at night they go out and have a beer together? And, and we've got to get back to those days because civility is one of the most important things. We are a democracy. Uh, we are a republic, but we need civility. What happened to the days where our senators were the senior statesmen of the United States? Yeah. My God, 
What happened to those days? John, you know, I wonder how many people in school actually even know about those, forget about know what they are, but know of those 110 rules of civility that Washington had. And you see so much of American history in the last few years being perverted, where Washington, in so many people's eyes, is nothing more than a former slave over, instead of actually really uh, the founding, the founding father of the many founding fathers of this incredible experiment, including having the discipline, the foresight to be able to give the presidency back after two terms. Uh, I mean, what do you think about that? That it would never happen uh, today uh, if they had the ability to hold on to it. And um, it's we, we have to start seriously considering who's trying to change our way of life. Andrew, who is trying to change our way of life? Sit. Who's trying to change our way of life? The uh, United States of America was the most perfect uh, democracy, the most perfect republic ever in, in the history of, of the world we know of. And uh, uh, we just have to get back to that. No, agree. And, and, uh, and by, by, to and, Andrew's point, if he was allowed, Barack Obama would have certainly run for a third term and probably would have won uh, for that. But uh, you're right. We got to get back to that. And uh, will we? I don't know. Uh, there is nothing that says to me we will anytime soon. In fact, it looks worse and worse every day, the divide between Republicans and Democrats. We're not getting any better. Uh, I will ask you this, though, John. Uh, again, well, Trey- there's one important thing yes. on Barack Obama. Yeah. Before he left politics, he did something no other president has ever, ever done. He took 2,000 of his political operatives yeah. and made him civil servants and put him into every agency of the United States government to act as operatives. It's, yeah. it's a great point, John. And I got to tell you, I can, one of the, uh, this is fascinating, but there were more people in the next administration that I worked in, the Trump administration, that said, you know, the best five weeks of that administration was actually when we had the government shutdown because so many of those uh, non-political appointees of those careers, which Barack Obama, like you said, took those political appointees, which the president can appoint, and made them career civil servants, they actually could not legally go into work when the government was shut down. And so many people in the Trump administration administration felt that the most productive five weeks was during the shutdown when they were not fighting against the bureaucracy, if you will. And uh, I'll tell you, it's... Um it was very, very sad that uh, our system is supposed to work the way our system has always worked, and, and things are a little bit different. Andrew, you worked at the White House. Yeah. Were, were those people visible, or you didn't know who's going to stab you in the back when? Good question. I, I always thought that uh, that they did their best work when they were invisible, to be perfectly honest. And as soon as they were visible, that's when you could actually figure out who it was. That's when the president could do something about it. But so much of that was going on below the surface, John. Understood. Mm-hmm. Well, we celebrate Columbus Day. My yeah, I, I love Columbus Day. <laughs> yeah, I love we that celebrate one. President's Day. <laughs> we celebrate George Washington's birthday tomorrow. And we'll post up. Uh, we'll, we'll get to, to probably Stephanie or whoever posts on, the, uh, uh, on, uh, on our bulletin board on uh, WABCradio.com. The 110 rules of civility. Everybody should go and codes of decency. Everybody should go to the WABC website. We'll have it up in about an hour. 
And um, I love that. So before I let you go, tell me this. Gowdy said Ronald Reagan, best president of his lifetime. For me, it's also Reagan. Trump is right there, but he was a one-term guy, and I hate what he's doing so far during this campaign. Uh, for you, John Katsimatidis, you've been around a couple of years. Best president of your lifetime. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, the best Democratic president of my lifetime was uh, uh, Bill Clinton. The best. Well, you're, Republican... you're, you're, you're taking Clinton over Kennedy, huh? Uh, yes, Clinton had eight years. Kennedy had yeah. two and a half years. Right, right. I mean, that, wasn't uh, Ken- that, I, was, that, that wasn't Kennedy's fault. But <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> someday we'll find out who really killed right, Kennedy. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm with you. you tune in to Frank Morano at 3 o'clock in the morning. And, <laughs> and is William Shatner going to be coming in as WABC talent now, considering uh, the, the uh, new marriage between Frank Morano and William Shatner? We're going to have him uh, as our uh, senior, senior, senior statesman right yeah. now. Cindy is going to. Cindy <laughs> Adams is our oldest uh, uh, host on WABC, and she's have a she has a big birthday in April that we're going to celebrate. Nice. And and, and I went to dinner with the other night. Said. And Cindy says, I don't think Sid loves me enough. I, she, she said the same thing to me on the phone like three weeks ago. I'm like, what else can I possibly do for you? You want to go to Vegas? I love Cindy Adams. All right, so you gave me the Democrat as Bill Clinton, the best Republican president in John Katzmatidi's lifetime. I, I think it was Ronald Reagan. Uh, I think Donald Trump had the capabilities of doing it, but he made too many enemies. You know, you can't wake up every day and make new enemies every day. And uh, and Ronald Reagan had the ability to make new friends every day. People loved him. And it's not about, uh, you know, and I, I talked to Anthony Weiner. I, I met with Anthony Weiner on Saturday afternoon uh, uh, just to catch up. And uh, it's making new friends every day uh, for our politicians is very important. And uh, I think I think we should learn how to make new friends every day. Agreed. I think uh, also, John, we need a dinner at Gallagher's one of these nights. Me, you, and Margot Chad and Cindy to uh, fix this. Whatever this is, I don't know what happened. I love it dearly, but I'll fix it. <laughs> we'll fix it. <laughs> hey, John, thank Have you. Have a great day, guys. You See too, you later. John. Thank, you, thank John. you so much. There he is, the host of Cats at Night, 5 p.m. every weekday afternoon. And, of course, Cats Roundtable, 8 a.m. every Sunday morning. More importantly, trust me, folks. One of the nicest men God ever created. You talk about civility, that should be John Katsimatidi's middle name. Sid Rosenberg, Andrew Giuliani, and the crew. It's the Monday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning. Still to come, Rich Lowry, big-time attorney Alan Dershowitz, Dr. Mark Siegel from Fox News, Sid's take, and a whole bunch more. Keep it right here. President's Day with Sid and Andrew on WABC. is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Put your hair back. You get to leave. Eleven gallows on your sleeve. Shallow figure winner's pay. Eleven shadows 
It was nice watching the local news last night. The, the local uh, sports guys are awful. Outside of Otis Livington, my man Otis is great. I love Otis on CBS. He's great. The weekend guy in CBS is a, is just horrible. I don't know who he is, but he sucks. And uh, Field is okay on ABC. He's boring as the day is long. But like when I was uh, growing up, we had all these great sports guys. You had Warner Wolf, and we had... Even that guy Girardi on Channel 11 was really good. Sal Marciano, all these guys. These guys today are so white bread, they suck. But I do love um, Otis Livingston. But one of the guys, uh, the weekend guy in CBS, was in Tampa covering the Yankees. Aaron Judge showed up at 8 o'clock yesterday morning, the newest Yankee captain with a stupid haircut. I don't know why he wears his hair like that. I mean, a good-looking guy. worth a billion dollars. It's like a mohawk. I mean, he looks ridiculous. But anyway, who am I to talk? He, uh, he showed up, the Yankee captain, and I guess Garrett Cole, the ace, is not healthy. Nesta Cortez uh, spoke a little bit. Anthony Rizzo admitted that at one point to try to make sure the judge didn't go to San Francisco or San Diego or Los Angeles. He actually sent Aaron Judge a picture of their two dogs because they're very, very close, Rizzo and Judge, and they love their dogs, and they walk their dogs together, and they talk about their dogs. So he said, yes, that's true. I did send Judge a picture of the two dogs and said, hopefully we can continue to walk our dogs together. The love story between Anthony Rizzo and Aaron Judge. Beautiful. I wonder if Aaron Judge actually got those pictures and was like, oh. Now that the dogs, now that I got this beautiful frame picture of the dogs, maybe he's going to paint the portrait and send it to me. I am now going to be a New York Yankee for life because of those dogs. Anthony Rizzo seems to think that's the case. <laughs> Not well, to half a billion dollars. Well, as long as they keep hitting home runs, but they are crazier no. than I could even imagine. I don't know. There's one position I only won for the Yanks that's up for grabs, and that's shortstop, as I argued with uh, Alec almost the whole season. Mm-hmm. Kind of for left is a really light-hitting shortstop, and yeah. please. Uh, they've got these other young kids there, Volpe, some Latino kid. So the three of them will vie. If Alepa gets it, it'll be the first time in, like, years that the Yankees have the same shortstop opening day. I mean, they've really had a rough go of it yeah. since. So uh, who's the guy that replaced Gregorius? Who Gregorius. was it? Gregorius. Right, Gregorius. good. Yeah, so. He's really good. Yeah, so we'll see. That's how the Yankee situation. The Mets stoning Marte. When he got hurt last year, the Mets were not the same. You could talk all you want about Gonzalez and, and all their offensive stars. Stoning Marte was clearly... The, uh, the, the, I guess, the uh, straw that stirred the drink, as Reggie Jackson once said. So he had, off, uh, he had off-season surgery. He should be back opening day, no rush. The Met note was basically about this kid, Senga, the Japanese import, who uh, made a, a bunch of adjustments in 48 hours, had a shaky bullpen session, whatever that means. But funny seeing Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer standing together in Met uniforms yeah. last night. Now, that is, again, they got to stay healthy. They're both getting up there in age, but that is a serious one-two punch. What do you think about the Met move so far this offseason? They didn't do much. I mean, they, they replaced DeGrom, who's already hurt in Texas, by the way, already hurt, with Verlander, which is great. But offensively, they did nothing for the team. You know, neither the Mets mm-hmm. or the Yankees did a heck of a lot. Teams like San Diego did more and... But the, uh, the Mets, not one offensive starter besides catcher. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the rest of the team is exactly the same. They did bring back Jeff McNeil and right. Diaz. And, but outside of Rolander and Senga, which is big, they yeah. spent all their money on their starting rotation. And that's how you win. 
Yeah. So that's uh, let's see if that pays off for the Mets. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm looking right now at the uh, odds to win the World Series, and aside from the Houston Astros, who are at five to one, next are the Yankees at plus seven fifty, and then the Mets at plus eight hundred. So the Yankees in second, the Mets in third. Mets tied with the Dodgers at plus eight hundred. Now there is a legitimate chance that we could see our first Subway Series in twenty three years. Yeah. Things have to go right. Guys have to stay healthy. The Yankee rotation, the Met rotation. Judge has to have a big year again, not 62, but certainly 40 or 45. D.J. LeMay, who says he's healthy, he's got to return to the form he was a couple of years ago. He has to do that. Mm -hmm. And if those things happen, Marte stays healthy, they get some production from catcher and and third base to Mets, then uh, a Yankee-Met World Series, I think, is uh, completely possible. Yeah. Look, I've been saying this for 10 years. When is the division series going to extend out to a four out of seven game series? If you talk about some of the best teams in baseball, and I know the Mets ended up going through that quick series, that's fine. That's a wild. That was part. the best of three. It was the best of three. They I lost know. to San Diego. Yes. That was the best of three, and that's new this year that they put yeah. that in. Which I actually kind of like that part because if you win the division, it's a real part of it. But then I think the division series has to be four out of seven. If you look at these teams that have played well throughout the course of 162 games. You got to be able to have a four game series to be able to do that, in my opinion. I agree. Which Lowry is coming up next, editor of National Review. Always great on a Monday morning. Also, traffic, but right now it's time for the 77 WABC clip of the day. Listen to John Katz Matidis. He was just on, he was great. It's the Katz Roundtable where common sense prevails every Sunday morning, starting at 8 a.m., always telling both sides of the story. Here, John talks with the pride of Arkansas, Tom Cotton. You know, when you wake up 3 o'clock in the morning and you can't sleep, what keeps you up? Uh, what's, what's the number one item? Well, to be literal, it's my 7- and 6-year-old boys that usually wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. But whenever I uh, can't go back to sleep after they woke me up, what's always on my mind, John, is the threat from uh, the Chinese communists. I think it's the greatest threat we face in the world today. Maybe the worst threat we've ever faced, more so even than Soviet Russia, because China's economy is so much bigger than Russia's ever was, and their economy is so much more entangled to our economy. The Cats Roundtable, and of course, Cats at Night, 5 p.m. every weekday. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Last night, I'm laying naked watching Real Houses of New Jersey. It's a lot of information, I understand. And uh, my, yeah, my phone buzzes. Here's what it reads. Hey, Sid, I assume you're off tomorrow. Thanks and talk soon. Rich, Rich Lowry. And, of course, I'm not off today, which would have been tomorrow yesterday, because I don't take off. And I haven't for years. Summers, I take off like a couple of days. 
my late partner, God rest his soul, Bernie, would take off weeks. I never did. I never take off. Never. I, uh, I, I know my first question to Rich Lowry is, how does he feel that uh, you are texting him back in the nude? <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. Yeah. Rich, how do you feel about that? <laughs> that's a true story, by the way. <laughs> I believe it. That's an uh, <laughs> uncomfortable way to start this conversation. Uh, uh, Rich said, Too much no. information. <laughs> <laughs> Rich is like, okay, no problem. I'll be there. So, And you need to be here because Mondays without you are just not the same. I did write that. Uh, thanks. Uh, I mean it. You're great, and I need you here on a Monday. So thank you for showing up. I and mean, if you weren't here, what would you do? Be outside honoring presidents? What do you do for that? Uh, I'd just sleep a little later. <laughs> I sleep later and buy sheets. That's it. Um, let's talk about uh, this president when you talk about the great presidents, where he belongs in the hierarchy. Uh, you know, look, Democrats will tell you. I've heard some of the politicians say this guy's fierce. Kamala Harris this weekend said this is one of the great presidents ever. And then, of course, people on my side of the aisle are like, he's the worst ever. I thought 39, God bless him, was very sick today. We pray for him. He was the worst. But this guy's gone past Carter by leaps and bounds. What does Rich Lowry think? Yeah, he's he's terrible. Um, he's a representative of the, the, the worst uh, impulses in the Democratic Party. But, you know, he, he looks like an elder statesman. Um, he doesn't scare people. Um, you know, as much as Hillary Clinton or, or someone or Barack Obama did. And unfortunately, you know, he had some political success. I mean, he, he won in 20 and then he, then he uh, basically won in 22, uh, um, at least kept Republicans from the kind of victory he thought they were going to get and has a chance to win again. At the same time, you know, he's clearly not up for the job, but then it's kind of bulldogging through because this is something he's wanted for the entirety of his adult life. And once he's in there, I think there was a news story about his health and Democrats whispering about it a couple of days ago that said he, he's got the narcotic of power, you know, yeah. the most powerful drug I, you know, going I'm, through I'm, his veins. I'm not so, even sure it's you know, him. I, I got to tell you, I, and maybe this is just me being cynical, but I'm not even sure it's him. I think it's his wife. I really think Dr. Mm -hmm. Jill, Dr. What I don't know, but I really think she's the one who's enjoying this, and she's the one who's making him go through this, which to me is spousal abuse. It really is because he's embarrassing himself every day. To me, it's Jill, not Joe, who wants this. Yeah, I, I don't know. He, I mean, he's, he's, he ran three times for, for president, 24 if he makes it, what will be his fourth. I, the, the first two were ridiculous flame outs, although he became uh, Obama's vice president. I, I just think it, it's something that he uh, deeply, deeply wants, and you're not get him in, getting him out of there until, you know, he, he, he literally can't uh, stand up and do the job, which which would perhaps happen if he won a second term. Yeah. yeah, you mentioned the flame outs. His first campaign actually even ended because we found out that he plagiarized uh, his speeches in college, or I should say his uh, his thesis, if I'm not mistaken, in college. But I, I wanted to ask you about your take on his trip to Ukraine today. What's your instant reaction to this, considering uh, we just found out of that, about this within the last couple hours? Um, you know, I think it's I think it's good. Uh, sh shows resolve. I guess he'll be going to Poland, too. I think Poland's one of my favorite European countries. So I think we, we have to back Ukraine to the hilt and then hope we can get get a deal because there's it's really hard to see how Ukraine wins because Putin's never going to go away I don't think it has you know massive resources and more resources than Ukraine so hopefully you can force uh, you convince Putin he's not going to get what he wants and then they they can sit down and you get some unsatisfactory deal for both sides but unfortunately uh, we're, we're far away from that point at the moment so you just have this constant uh, meat grinder in Ukraine 
Nikki Haley announced last week she's running for president. She's now number two behind Donald Trump. I don't know if you know this. I think you do. But Ron DeSantis is on Staten Island here in New York today with my mm-hmm. friend Paul DiGiacomo starting his Salute to Police tour. Most people think, uh, almost everybody, this is the beginning of his announcement running for president. But right now it's just Trump and Haley. And uh, we know things got ugly between the two at the very end. So it's no surprise that Donald Trump has gone after her, even though I think it's stupid doesn't make any sense. I mean, she was a very, very good governor. She's on the right side of things. You know, he just can't find a way, Donald Trump, to put personal stuff aside. And he thinks everybody must be loyal to him for the rest of their lives. It's not a very realistic way of living your life. But in any case, you wrote about Nikki Haley this week. What do you think? Uh, I think it, it, it uh, was a good decision to get in early. You know, she's got more attention than she would have. She was given an enormous gift by that jabroni Don Lemon. I'd forgotten about the word jabroni <laughs> until Travis Kelsey used it. It's a great, uh, it's a great word. It was a great word, and it definitely applies to him. I'm not sure he's going to survive this. Miranda Devine had a great column about how clearly he just hates women. <laughs> he's one of he these really does. gay guys that just doesn't like women. And just to update um, that, he was not there on Friday, and he is not there again this morning. Yeah, so it comes on top of clearly, you know, there's no chem- – it's a ridiculous morning show. You know, morning shows, you have to have chemistry. There's zero chemistry on that set. In fact, you know, we've all been following in the post. There's the opposite. You know, he's been a complete <laughs> jerk, and you've seen it on air, uh, some of it, to the, the, two, the two women, especially the, the younger one, Collins. Well, let me ask you um, this. Uh, just uh, stick there for one second before you get back to your point on Nikki Haley. If Don Lemon – and I want your honest opinion here. If Don Lemon was white, would he be gone by now? Probably. Okay, good. The answer is yes. Yeah, and it's just amazing. You know, it'll be, we'll be three for three, right? Because Andrew Cuomo will have gone, you know, and he was on CNN constantly during that period when he was lying about COVID. Chris Cuomo will be gone. And then the guy, Chris Cuomo, is always handing off with these fake uh, friendly uh, ha- handoffs with Don Lemon. Don Lemon will be gone, too. Um, <laughs> and don't forget about our favorite potato, Don, uh, Brian Stelter. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, um but, you know, I think she's winsome. I think she's um, she's well-spoken. People, Republicans like her. The thing is, and, you know, I'm not the first to make this observation, what's the rationale? You know, I was on Fox News Sunday yesterday, and I, um, Shannon Bream, who does a great job, asked her that, and she didn't have an answer really. You know, just she talked about her bio. And then she, she was asked, what are your policy differences from Donald Trump? And this isn't saying get an insult war with Donald Trump. It's not saying personally criticize Donald Trump, you know, do the January 6th thing or any of that, just policy differences with this other candidate. And there was fear in her eyes. And, and this is, you know, the, the, one of the reasons to believe, even though I thought he's, um, he's lost a step and said, I think you're, you're right about almost everything you say about how he's conducted himself this time around so far. He still has a power. People are still afraid of him and don't know how to deal with him. And we, we saw that on air with Nikki yesterday. Rich, I wanted to ask you, you know, considering uh, – and look, I, I still support President Trump. I know that you've gone a different way on this, and I know that there are certainly many of my friends, including some that worked in the administration, who has. Um, but looking at the polls on this, uh, it looks to me that the only way that Donald Trump does not become the Republican nominee is if there is an extended one-on-one race, mm-hmm. whether that other right. person is DeSantis whether it's Haley, whether it's somebody else, it seems like if this is a jumbled field, that Trump has a much better chance of becoming the Republican nominee. So as somebody who has advocated for moving on from Trump, uh, do you believe that there needs to be, let's say, of the non-Trump 
uh, group in the Republican Party, an early coalition behind one candidate urging all the other candidates to get out. Is there something behind the scenes where that is working on? What can you tell us about that? Well, first of all, I think you're absolutely right and and, and how you, you're, you're looking at it. He's he's. Um Trump somewhere below 50. You know, I, I don't know, you know, where where exactly it is when it shakes out and people actually vote, but he has to win with a plurality. So a crowded field helps him, and a one-on-one race presumably um, hurts him. But I don't think, you know, it's just, there's no coordination, there's no effort to to try to narrow the field. You know, donors will be talking about that, but I think, you know, you're going to get eight or nine people in. And then the question is, you can't really stop people from getting in, and, and you need to see how people are going to run. You know, maybe DeSantis is as absolutely as strong as he looks. Maybe he's not. You know, maybe someone else we're not focusing on now will surprise us. That usually happens. But it's a question of getting out in, in time. Um, so, you know, we've we, we got a way, ways to go until that happens. But I think you're right about the underlying analysis. And I think Trump you know, has been relatively mild on Nikki Haley, and I think that's one reason why. He, mm-hmm. he, even though Trump would prefer just no one gets in and it's just him, um, he, he realizes more, more candidates that serve his interest. This is uh, the great Rich Lowry on every Monday morning with us, National Review, Political, NBC. He does it all. You know, we, uh, we're very tough here on Joe Biden, obviously, and almost every member of his administration, Kamala Harris, complete waste of time. Mallorca should be in prison, all these people. But the guy that really should be in prison now is Pete Buttigieg. Um, this guy mm-hmm. took months and months off for his paternity leave. Then he comes back. We had the issues around the holidays with the airplanes. That was never fixed. Now this ridiculous train derailment. He says, hey, there are train derailments all the time. He's right about that. But not every time are there toxins, chemical toxins mm-hmm. in the air killing fish and maybe killing people. I mean, this guy is outrageous, Pete Buttigieg, no? Yeah, he's a dilettante, you know, a, um, a clever one, a glib one, so he can kind of study up and, and g- g- give you a, a nice-sounding answer to something, but it doesn't mean he's competent or has real depth. And uh, on this, it's just uh, it's disaster management 101. You know, uh, governors do it, heads of FEMA do it, presidents do it. You put on your boots, you put on your windbreaker, you go there, right, a, a, you know, a day afterwards and say, look, this, this is terrible and we're working on it. And maybe – it maybe you know you're not working on it very well, but at least you've shown you, you care enough to do that. He, he hasn't done that. He, he didn't even make a statement until ten days in. Um, and you know it's true there there uh, train derailments all the time. I, actually, I mean our, our system's pretty uh, uh, safe actually, but th- this is a terrible event, and people are right to be suspicious. You know, if your pets are sick or your animals are sick and, and dying or you see dead fish in the stream or, you you know, you're getting rashes, yeah. you're, you're going to wonder. So um, um, let, let's pray to God that the, the government's actually being honest here about the, their testing. But they, they need to get to the bottom of it and hold uh, Nor- um, Norfolk Southern's feet to the fire and make sure this is cleaned up and this community is made whole. It sounds like it's the same strategy, though, that he's using that they really – the. Uh, uh, Kamala Harris and the rest of the administration, including Mayorkas, has used on the border, which is if we don't go there, if mm-hmm. we don't do that, then the media just won't cover it. They'll cover our tracks for us. Yeah, uh, that's I think that's I hadn't thought about that. I think that's a good point. I also think, you know, Tucker Carlson's made made this point. I think it's true. You know, if this happened in uh, Harlem, you could make it a race story. Yeah. You know, Al Sharpton would say this environmental racism, that would be a narrative. The media would pick it up and it would be a national obsession. Right. And because these are out of the way, uh, poor, um, uh, largely poor uh, white folks, it just doesn't have that sort of resonance. So everyone really ignored it. I, it's gotten some more attention now, but initially. 
initially, everyone was ignoring it. 60 seconds to go, Rich. Today is day one, full squad, spring training, Tampa, your New York Yankees. My Mets enter day two. I've got huge expectations for the Mets. I really do. Aaron Judge, the captain, showed up 8 o'clock yesterday morning. What are the Rich Lowry expectations for the 2023 New York Yankees? Uh, high, you know, but you never know. You never know who's going to uh, get hurt. Or, well, when you say uh, high, what? do you mean ALEs, champions, pennant winners, World Series winners? How high? Uh, you know, got to win the AL East. That would be a major disappointment if they don't. And I, I think this is the year at least to make the World Series. And I'm totally with you. I mean, this is the first time in a long time you can squint and, and see a Subway Series. Um, that, that Subway Series, it was wonderful, at least for a Yankee fan. But it was bizarre that Mets seemed to be uh, sleepwalking. Um, you know, that, that that Piazza thing with Roger Clemens at the bat, he was just sort of yeah. randomly trotting to first. Yeah, I mean, but the Mets weren't immediately. The Mets had two really great players, Mike Piazza. Edgardo Alfonso was very good at that time, but you couldn't ask the Mets with Timo Perez. Denny Agbayani. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys got like Bernie Williams, Derek Jeter. So, and listen, Leiter had a big year, but... Uh, at the end of the day, the Yankees were a much better team, much better. Yeah, I touched that Roger Clemens bat, by the way, because Fox <laughs> had, a, had the kid who got it in the box seats, yeah. the, the shattered bat. Yeah, I hated <laughs> it. I, I, I hated Roger year. Clemens' guts. And then what happens, John Katzmatidis buys the Staten Island baseball team, and Roger Clemens' kid ends up signing with the Staten Island Berry Hawks last year, and opening night on Staten Island, who's the first guy I see at the ballpark? Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Roger, good to see you. Prick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that bat ended up at my feet, and I never picked that bat up. I should have done oh, really? that. I, I'd be uh, retired ah. right now. I'd be retired already at 37 years old. <laughs> hey, Rich, uh, as always, excellent job. Thank Thanks, you for coming on on this holiday. You're the absolute best. We'll do it again next week. There he is, Rich Lowry, every Monday right here on Sid and Friends in the Morning. Got a lot more to do, including Gnomes Nuggets. Big-time attorney Alan Dershowitz, Dr. Mark Siegel from Fox News, and Sid's Take, all that and more, the Monday edition of the number one Nielsen-rated news talk show in New York City and the self-proclaimed best talk show anywhere in America. That's me, Sid and Friends in the Morning, right here on WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. What you say? He's just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC.
So it is President's Day, hour number three. Sitting friends in the morning. Been a great two hours. Don Katz, Matidis, which Lowry, my buddy Andrew Giuliani, sitting in. We'll get to those uh, rules of civility later, but uh, Pete King just sent me this. Pete loves to post. He's like a kid. He's awesome. And all of his posts are great. Facebook, Instagram, he's great. And he posted this. Today is President's Day. Today we acknowledge the men. Oh, women don't like that. Where's Hillary Clinton when you need her? Nikki Haley. The day we acknowledge the men who have held the highest position in the greatest nation in the world. I've been fortunate to meet every president since Richard Nixon. Some of these meetings were brief. Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter, 39 in terrible shape this morning. Uh, Our prayers go out to him. Others much more extensive. Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Donald Trump. In each instance, though, no matter their political views, it was an honor to meet the men who held the office of president of the United States. Hail to the chief. One thing about Pete, he's very consistent. He likes Republicans. He likes Democrats. He's a Republican. He's not that stupid word, rhino. God, I can't stand that. He's a Republican. But he is a decent human being. He does respect the office of many politicians. So that's consistent with Peter King. I'm not sure everybody feels the same way that if they met Joe Biden, for example, it would feel nearly as good as a Trump or a Reagan or one of these guys. In fact, I do think the issue today is that that would not be the case, that uh, guys like you and I, for example, wouldn't say it was an honor to meet Joe Biden. In fact, you may say, to quote the great Joe Beningo, what a disaster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is something awesome about the presidency, and uh, it's one of those things you feel. I will say, though, on September 11th this year, I was probably about five steps away from Joe Biden for a long period of time, and th- it's th- there's something about that aura that does not exist around him. Yeah, you hate him. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's probably it. But I mean, look, yeah. I, I remember being around I do too. Obama, and I couldn't stand Obama's policies. And and but I was felt different. like there it was, was maybe maybe it was yeah. maybe yeah. it was different. Um, but uh, because but yeah, I mean, Obama was the first black president, and he was he was articulate, very unlike Biden. Biden can't complete a sentence. Right. There were some things. I mean, look, I remember, and I didn't vote for Obama at the time, but when he first won, and he walked that long walk to the White House with Michelle and his daughters. Even though I voted against him, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is good. Never felt that way with Biden. Right. Never. From the day he won, I couldn't stand him. Yeah. From the day he ran, I couldn't stand him. Again, voting against Barack Obama didn't have the same disdain. Now I do. Yeah. I mean, you, you talked to John earlier about what he did uh, when he left the presidency. Mm-hmm. He also had no issue giving the Palestinians yeah. a, a boatload of cash. Yep. That's the last thing he actually did yeah. was make sure Hamas was funded to kill the Jews. Yeah. You yep. want to be honest about Barack Obama. On top of that, the Iran nuclear deal yeah, right. toward the end of his presidency as well. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking right now. DeSantis they have on Fox News on in Staten Island. It's live. It's he's live here for his, right yes, Salute the uh, police. Uh, I guess he's doing this in a bunch of Democrat cities yeah. across the country. And this will be the beginning of him announcing he is running for president. I do think it's very fascinating, though. Where's the first place he goes? He goes to Donald J. Trump's home city. In New York. No, I think didn't. I think that's no. by design. Donald from Queens. He went to Frank Morano's home, home city. <laughs> he went to John Tobacco's home city. Oh, uh, I once I can consider Staten Island no. part of our city. No, it technically it's not. are. That's that's why no. I said city, not hometown. Home city yeah. right here. <laughs> yeah. Come on. We need Staten Island. If we're ever gonna change this thing around, we're gonna need Staten Island. So as many of you guys wanna 
leave New York City, and I understand you got to hang in there with us. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I do love Staten Island. Those are good people there. Jimmy and Corvaya lives on Staten Island, and, of course, Vito Pacella, love him dearly, and a host of other folks I really yeah. like. So that's where he is right now, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, kicking off his pro-police tour on this uh, president's day. We did mention earlier that Jimmy Carter is in very serious condition. He was number 39, folks. And uh, he's gone home now to receive hospice. Usually, that's uh, that's about the end. He doesn't want to be in a hospital anymore. He wants to die at home. He's 98 years old. And uh, he served, as you mentioned earlier, like over 40 years ago. And his best contribution was certainly not as president, was afterwards with the Habitat for Humanity. Built over 800,000 homes for homeless and downtrodden people. He's a good guy. He's got a good heart. But he was an awful, awful president. And 1980 was one of the worst years in the history of this country. And Ronald Reagan came in at the perfect time. And I'm going to say it again. I said it earlier. Whoever takes over in 2024 in a similar position, because I do feel like the patriotism right now is down. Mm -hmm. Now, the difference is back in 1980, Democrats admitted it. Republicans admitted it. Not going to be the case now. You still have people like Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi telling us Joe Biden is a great president. Not good, great But I believe 2024, the same exact situation as when Carter handed off to Reagan back in 1981. Yeah, it's certainly set up that way. And and it feels like we can't be at any lower point in terms of uh, just how, you know, we view each other as uh, red and blue and not as red, white and blue. And and I think that's uh, that's one of the things that uh, needs to change. And I think whoever is going to capitalize on whoever understands that and whoever understands that, hey, look, it's going to be a brutal primary process. There's no doubt about that. And it's going to be a brutal campaign. But if a Republican <laughs> is able to win in 2024 and take the take the White House in 2025, I think there's a way similar to what DeSantis did in Florida, which was actually get some Democrats to support. And that's how you almost get to 60 percent. Um, I think there's a way to actually do this. That's not an endorsement of DeSantis because I'm still on the Trump train here. But uh, I will say that uh, I think there's a lot to learn from what we've seen in these successful states. And that's really what the found on a day like today, you think about that. That's exactly what the founding fathers wanted from this American experiment, which was the states really were the incubator for the rest of the country. Yet when you really look at what's happened uh, over the last couple of elections, it really is no longer a national election. There's only a couple of states mm-hmm. and they're not the big ones right. that really determine Who's going to be president? Yeah. It's hardly a national election anymore. When you say the primary is going to be brutal, it's because of one man, Trump. That's it. Not because of DeSantis, not because of Haley, not because of Tim Scott. It is going to be brutal because that's how Trump fights. For example, here is from his, uh, what is this called again? The truth? What's it called? His yeah, social media. Truth what? Truth so, social. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. He goes, I will never call Ron the sanctimonious meatball Ron. This is on Saturday. As the fake news is insisting, I will. Even though Fox News killing lightweight Paul Ryan is revered by him, low-energy Jeb Bush is his hero and always at his side. His beaches and state were closed for long periods of time. His testing, testing, testing for the China virus didn't work out too well. And his loyalty skills, this is stupid, are really weak. It would be totally inappropriate to use the word meatball as a moniker for Ron. And I would say Trump. And I'm with him, too. This morning, I'm still voting for Donald Trump. Every day, I lose more and more patience. That truth social piece right there, to say it would be stupid, would really be an understatement. You know, I thought about an analogy. Maybe it's not a perfect analogy, but, uh, you know, DeSantis... And not running against Trump because of loyalty, if you will, and that being the argument, that to me is like 
having a head coach in the Super Bowl, and he's faced up against another head coach who used to be his coordinator and said, right. well, you can't run, you can't play and win this well, Super Bowl I'll, I'll, I'll give because you the of that. That's, the why it's, that's why it's a poor argument. It's, a, it's not just a poor argument. It's childish. It's stupid. It's going to hurt Trump. It would be Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick was Bill Parcells' mm-hmm. defensive coordinator. Right. They won two Super Bowls together. Yep. Then Bill Belichick went on and won his own elections, if you will. Became a Super Bowl coach time and time again. Bill Parcells isn't angry with Bill Belichick because yeah. he moved on and won Super Bowls. And Bill Parcells was still coaching. Yeah. He was still coaching. What Trump is doing is so childish. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. And he's not helping his party. And I don't believe in the long run he's going to help himself. Can somebody stop him? Please, somebody. Lara, <laughs> Donald Jr., Kimberly, is there somebody out there who can tell this idiot who was a great president to stop? Look, Trump trusts his instincts. And whether they're right, whether they're wrong, he goes with them. And you can, you know, you can kind of get something into his ear. And every once in a while, that will marinate and he'll listen. But more than more, more often than not, he looks and says, hey, look, I, the, I was able to build this amazing empire. He I, did. I, Became the 45th president of the United States. He did. Uh, I'll listen to you when you become president of the United States. <laughs> he does and, say uh, that. He won't listen to Joe Biden, exactly. No. Nor should he. So as I mentioned about two hours ago and an hour ago, I was watching Trey Gowdy on Fox News last night. And he said, listen, in my lifetime, Ronald Reagan has been the best president. And he did make the point that he does not think Ronald Reagan would win today because Ronald Reagan was too civil. And it's funny, you pointed out, and you were right, back then he was considered so conservative but truth be told, he really wasn't, and, and his point was he was too civil to win today. So that generated a conversation between me, you, and John Katsimatidis earlier, where John said, we're going to put on WABC the, how many are there, 110? 110 rules of civility, Washington's 110 rules of civility. George Washington, who, mind you, the first White House was right where I used to live, down by France's Tavern, in the Fidei section of Manhattan, the White House went the first two or three presidents in New York, then Pennsylvania, then eventually Washington, D.C. So Washington's White House was right here in New York. But uh, those uh, those civility rules, what are some of those? Uh, well, here's one that I think is uh, very relevant. When in company, put not your hands to any part of the body not usually discovered. What does that mean? I think that means don't touch places where you're not supposed to touch. On other people or yourself? On other people. Uh, well, probably that, too, in company, yeah. right? In company. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, show nothing to your friend that may affright him. It sounds like we're still talking uh, yeah, about yeah, the yeah. same thing like over Shakespeare. there. I don't know if I'm could they speak English? These Jesus. aren't even words anymore. Every action done in company ought to be with some sign of respect to those that are present. That's so all, the respect, only word that matters is respect. Respect. Yeah, right. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. what. Uh, put not off your clothes in the presence of others, nor go out of your chamber half-dressed. So we're still talking about clothing and touching in the first uh, yeah. five or six. I'm going to have to dig a little deeper into <laughs> I mean, these. Let your countenance be pleasant, but in serious matters, somewhat grave. I think you do that well, Sid. You think so? I think you do that well. I think you you, you have a range where <laughs> we can go through very lighthearted, and then uh, all of a sudden, you know, you become emotional about yes. something that's very important. So I think you do that well. I don't know about yeah. the first four, but that one you certainly I don't know what it means. You certainly do <laughs> well there. <laughs> the gestures of the body must be suited to the discourse you are upon. So I think that means your stature needs to, you know, if there's something uh, positive, uh, you, mm. know, you need to be up and... I don't know if you want to hunch over, though, if there's something negative. Sounds so we're boring. Gonna to, I'm going to have to find a, folk, a couple of good ones <laughs> yeah, here I mean, during so the break. boring. Instead of just uh, yeah. 
do not laugh too loud or too much at any public spectacle. You and I don't do that well. We, we yeah, laugh we laugh loud. at everything. We're loud yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God for that. We, we if you didn't laugh, you'd be crying. Yeah, we violate the 24th uh, rule of right, civility. Uh, these rules are stupid. I'm sorry, John, but my God. <laughs> they're barely, barely English. I don't even know what the hell. They're, you can't touch yourself, touch anybody else. You can't laugh. You can't go to strip clubs. What good is this? I, I think those are probably good. I think those are probably good rules. Good I mean, for they might not. Uh, well, you know, that's uh... boring as hell. <laughs> that's, God, that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, undertake not to teach your equal in the art himself profess. It savors of arrogance. I feel like that applies to us. Over yeah, I here, think so. You know? too. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 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 To 40, 41. We're going to have to dig into yeah. deep. By the way, talking about 41. Who were the last two presidents on this President's Day to win both the general election and, of course, the Electoral College? Uh, well, Obama did it twice, but Obama and then Bush Who were the 43 last in 2004. 41 and 43 did it. Last Republic, yeah, 41 yeah. and 43. Both of them did it. Yeah. Both Bushes won the popular vote and the Electoral College vote. Yeah. 41 and, and 43. 43. You know, uh, the New York Post on the cover has a very important local story here that we have to get to. And it reads, the speech Albany refused to hear. Yeah. You can't handle the truth. So it turns out the Albany DA, a guy named David Suarez, who's black and a Democrat, steps up and writes his whole report on how while bail reform is lovely in theory, clearly based upon where we are now in New York, in practice, it just doesn't work. And in fact is dangerous. Black Democrat up in Albany says this has been proven not to work. So what did they do? They read it eventually, but he wasn't allowed to read it, his own stuff, in his enthusiastic voice, and they basically buried this thing. Black Democrat telling these folks bail reform just doesn't work. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that they would not allow him to go in there and speak and give him that platform and and make somebody else... Uh, read it. I mean, the guy has uh, he's nailed it on this stuff. And and you just look. I mean, look. He talks about how there's no coincidence if you look at violent crime going up through the roof uh, that this aligns perfectly with when the bail reform laws, uh, bail reform legislation actually became law, starting on January 1st of 2020. And he is arguing for a pushback. Now, we haven't mentioned. Eric Adams today, I think this would be a great ally for Eric Adams. I think if I'm Eric Adams, this is somebody that I would reach out to and figure out how to actually push this forward. How can we take the pressure points in actually getting the changes we need to get done in Albany? Because this guy obviously is really frustrated with what happened with bail reform. We know Adams is frustrated about it, but we haven't seen progress on it. This seems like somebody who could be a good ally for him. That is a very good point. I think Eric is going to join us on Wednesday. That's a great point, Andrew. You're right. This guy now is on record. He's out there. I mean, I've called out the Hasty and Stewart Cousins and all that. But clearly, he's angry, he's frustrated, and he's admitting it just doesn't work. Not a bad idea, Andrew Giuliani. 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. Noam's Nuggets become a hugely popular part of the program. That's coming up next with Noam Layden. Talk to the big-time attorney, Alan Dershowitz, coming up at 840. Dr. Mark Siegel comes your way at 905 and 940. Sid's Take, brought to you by the great Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. They do build America's best boilers. More of Keen on the way out, the Monday edition of Sid and Friends in the morning. You're going to let me in. I'm getting tired. 
the 77 WABC Lou Dobbs Financial Report. I'm Lou Dobbs. More key inflation updates this week. Retail earnings season is ramping up and investors focused on NVIDIA's outlook. Those stories next. Lou Dobbs here for the good folks at Lone Star Transfer. If you felt like booking your timeshare was difficult in the past, you know it's recently been almost impossible. Most clients are shocked to learn their timeshare is now available to the public, severely limiting their booking options. Many owners have also reached out, upset their yearly dues have nearly doubled during this maintenance fee season. For well over a decade, this family-owned company has had the pleasure of helping over 18,000 owners legally and permanently get out of their never-ending timeshare fees. With an A-plus rating at the Better Business Bureau and over 905 star testimonials their clients know they can trust lone star transfer lone star transfer guarantees the release of all liability in your timeshare in writing and in a specific time frame call my good friends today for a free no obligation consultation at 844-284-4739 that's 844-284-4739 or online at lone star transfer This is the 77 WABC Lou Dobbs Financial Report. Hot January inflation data has Wall Street forecasting more rate hikes. The Dow Jones Industrials capping a losing week Friday. Investors looking for more insight into the Fed's rate plans this week. The January PCE price inflation index update comes Friday. Investors are bracing for a sharp increase in the index. Retail earnings season kicks off this week. Walmart reports tomorrow. The stock up more than a percent so far this year. And Wednesday, NVIDIA's fourth quarter update. Revenue forecast to be down nearly 20% from the previous quarter. Wall Street targeting a nearly 40% decline in profits year over year. NVIDIA showing signs of rebounding. Please join me several times each weekday right here on 77 WABC. This is the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. Keep listening for more to 77 WABC for the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. get to what we get to, I should say, said Andrew to Noam Layden, the police commissioner, Keyshawn Shul, did something that I think was very, very important on Saturday. A lot of uh, schools, 
lot of violence in our schools, kids being shot and killed outside their schools. There's a whole bunch of stories in today's New York Post. You can read about it, and it's happening way too often, and the kids know about it. So little kids now are used to violence. I can't believe I'm saying that, but that happens to be true. So the police commissioner actually had a bunch of little kids interview her on Saturday mm-hmm. and uh, bring up some of these issues that we face in this city. And I mean, your, your, your girl is just a little baby crazy, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, my, my kids are older now, so you're too young, we're too old, but you're going to get there shortly. Right. And it's become scary. So let's go to a Fox 5 New York report. This is cut number 20. This is the commissioner, NYPD, Keyshawn Shul, being interrogated by little kids on law enforcement. My question for today is how do you deal with the stress? How do I, so um, I like to cook when I have time off, but I don't have time off. Tykes ages 3 to 10 interrogated NYPD Commissioner Kishant Sewell Saturday. How did you get all of this responsibility? The goal of this Harlem Children's Day event to turn the Inquisition into inspiration. I would say how do you protect the community so like there's no violence? That's a good question. Saddled with peer pressure, gangs, and social media, children in the city are falling victim to criminal activity, with news of a shooting or stabbing near a school campus common. An uptick in underage violence prompting the NYPD to station more police officers outside schools. When you come to events like this, I think kids see that. I don't have to, I don't have to just follow, you know, what my friends are doing. Anti-gun organization Harlem Mothers and Fathers Save is working to expose a younger generation to the positives of their neighborhood police force. If you get in any trouble, who are you going to call? The police. And who are you going to dial? Nine. One. One. All right, good job there by the NYPD Commissioner Keyshawn Shul. Lots of you guys out there always saying she's MIA. What is she doing? Is she even the commissioner? Is Eric Adams really the commissioner? So at least on Saturday she showed up, and I thought the kids were very, very good. Good questions, right? Definitely the right thing to do, and I think one of the things that so much of the leftist media does not report is just how many police officers are such an integral part of their community and some of them do it on the job but many of them do it when they're off the job yeah. on days off and, and you see this story happen so many times how it's so important i think it's one of those things that really is a, an important part of policing and uh, and i'm glad the police commissioner did this agreed let's get to one uh, norm's nuggets this is uh, something that has gained immense popularity in fact when the ratings come out tomorrow and the number that's going to come out is going to be like how it's sternish i swear to you i know that already uh, I'm going to have to say that I can't give you any credit at all, Noam, because no. it was last month. <laughs> <laughs> no, can I ask you, how do you feel that your nuggets are so popular? You know, I don't know if I like the name. I, I You know, well, I nuggets name. Sounds, sounds sort of obscene, actually. It does sound obscene. Yeah. Well, who gave you that name? I didn't. I don't know. Personally, Somebody. I hate it. <laughs> we'll just change it. It's, okay. your, it's your segment. You do what you want, okay? Thank you. What do we got today on this one? Yeah, show us your nuggets. I got, yeah. <laughs> After the show, I'll show them to you. The um, so I had this experience, and I bet you've had this, uh, Andy and Sydney, before, where you're invited to someone's house, and they you open up the front door, and they go, "Take your shoes off! This is a shoes-free home." We do right? that at my house. Yeah. Oh, you do do that. Yeah. Okay. So I had them on. Okay. Something wrong take with my that? Sho- well. Okay. Apparently, no. Yeah. This, so I said, okay, let's figure this out. Is there really something to taking off your shoes before you go into someone's house? 
And I found this study that was done actually just coincidentally two weeks ago at Marymount Manhattan College, which is on the Upper East Side. They studied shoes and what shoes track into homes. Dirt, duty, well, well, a bunch of nasty stuff. On the Upper East Side, it was unbelievable amounts of, yeah, duty. Told you. Yeah. Here's Dog Professor. Duty. The professor who led the study talking to CBS. The most novel thing about our study is that people are tracking these things indoors on their shoe soles. We found astonishing levels of enterococci, which are a fecal indicator bacterium. Yeah. yeah. And let me tell you something else. Yeah. When I was a kid, my mother would do that because of the dog duty. Now, with the homeless population through the roof, you get dog and human duty. That's Both. <laughs> oh, my God. It's gross. So where it comes from is, you know, when you're walking through the city and it's not, you know, you obviously can dodge the stuff you see, but sometimes you'll see those little pools of water. I mean, they're, they they won't even do a dent <laughs> on. on the bottom of your shoe. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. so thin. That is where all this is coming from. These these kids went out and they studied this. They went and looked at carpeting in homes, wooden floors after people had walked all over them. And they say it was all from these tiny little puddles of water and the bacteria levels so incredibly high that if they found this in like a swimming pool or in the ocean, they would close it down. We look for puddles where there's no evidence of feces, no residue. So they appear to be on sidewalks, surfaces that are not fouled. And, but then they found out that they're incredibly fouled and they can get you incredibly sick. So there is something to people asking for you to take your shoes off. That's what the final profi- uh, findings were from this professor, Al- Alessandra Leary. 30,000 bacterial cells per 100 milliliter of water. The EPA will has a benchmark that cities use to close beaches, and that benchmark is 110 cells per 100 <laughs> yeah. milliliters of water. So wow. that's just from your shoes. Yeah. So you know, take them off, I guess. It's interesting because I'm reading Washington's 110 Rules of Civility right now, and that's actually the 79th rule. Uh, when entering thy dwelling of others, uh, thou shalt remove <laughs> thy boot your poopy so shoes? as not to bringeth uh, in terracotta. <laughs> Funny enough, 79th. Yeah, well, there you have it. Yeah. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been to resorts down in Florida, like really fancy places, right? where somebody would make duty in the pool, they shut the whole thing down. Of course. 85 degrees, and I'm happy about that. I won't get in the pool anyway, but it's just, you know, we go back to Bill Murray in the great movie Stripes. <laughs> yeah. That was a baby Ruth, of course. Right. But... <laughs> Caddyshack. That's Caddyshack. Oh, Caddyshack. Right Excuse Caddyshack. me, not Stripes. Right, right, right. Exactly. So. Uh, but I knew right away. You see, as soon as he was started the story, Norm, I got it right away. Right? Duty on the souls. That's why you cannot wear shoes in my house. That's right. Do it. Yeah. No duty on the Thank soul. You. So in your house, if we take your shoes off, our feet might get wet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Noam Layton. Another uh, great one from Noam. Let's do the uh, clip of the day here quickly. It's John Katsimatidis, his great Sunday morning show, 8 a.m., the Cats Roundtable, where common sense prevails, always telling both sides of the story. Here, John, who was great with us about an hour and a half ago, talks with former RNC chairman Wins Priebus. Rona... McDaniel on uh, last week, she said she thinks it might be as many as 15, 16 people running. And she planned to have debates starting maybe this summer. Yeah, I, I think that that's right. As you recall, I went through the same thing in 2015. And one of the things that you've got to do, and I know Ron is going to do, is, you know, you have to really play things straight. You have to be very clear with all the candidates what the rules are, and you get them out early. How do you qualify for a debate? Is it a combination of polling and fundraising? So in other words, not just 
are you polling well in Iowa and New Hampshire, but are you raising money from enough people that shows the world that you're actually a real candidate? Priebus actually said on Fox News last night he thinks six or seven, not 15 or 16, but whatever. It is uh, 8.38 as we get ready for the great attorney Alan Dershowitz coming up next. Sit in Friends in the Morning, 77 WABC. Got a package full of wishes. A time machine, a magic wand, a glow made out of gold. No instructions or commandments. Laws of gravity or indecisions to uphold. Printed on the box I see. Acme's build a world to be. Take a chance, grab a piece. Help me to It's a nice question from the Group 5 for Fighting. What kind of world do you want? Jimmy Carter, of course, entering hospice care at home on this President's Day, number 39. I'm watching old video right now on MSNBC of him and his wife making that walk towards the White House when he won back in 1978. And he turned out to be a complete disaster. 77, excuse me. Complete disaster, but... Nice man, did some great things since Habitat for Humanity, all those great things. And it's very, very sad, but civility is out the window. And again, I repeated this three times already this morning. Trey Gowdy said it last night on Fox News that he doesn't think Ronald Reagan would win today because Reagan was too civil. Our next guest is the epitome of civility. They don't come more civil. He is uh, just an unbelievably great attorney, constitutional attorney. And uh, loved and revered by everybody on both sides, especially me, Sid. And that's our friend Alan Dershowitz. Alan, it's Sid and Andrew Giuliani. How are you, pal? Hey, it's great to be on with you. Happy President's Day. You know, <clears throat> I knew every president since um, since John Kennedy, except for George Bush, number one. I was privileged to know every single one of them. And we have been so blessed to have great presidents. You can disagree. I only voted for half of them. But, uh, you know, when when we think of George Washington and Adams and and Jefferson and Lincoln and and, and Washington and, 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 you know, Roosevelt up through the current presidents, we've been so, so fortunate with our presidents in general. And we ought to treat them with respect. Look, Jimmy Carter asked for my advice when he was running for president. I worked very closely with him. I ended up disagreeing with him fundamentally on Israel and some other issues. But. You know, I wish him well. He's a great man, yes. and he's done wonderful things for humanity. And I wouldn't say anything anything kind of horrible about any of our presidents the way some people do. There isn't a single president, and I include Franklin Pierce and Harrison, who didn't do something good for America. Uh, and, you know, Donald Trump is among them. Uh, you can disagree with things, but the Abraham Accords will go down in history as among the greatest accomplishments of any president ever. And, uh, you know, there's no such thing as the totally good, totally bad. That's why we have elections. And that's why I have a new book coming out called Get Trump, which mm. says basically mm. that even though I'm not for Trump, 
Um, I don't want to see anybody stop him from running. I want to have the right to vote against him for the third time. Uh, and people are trying to stop him from running and are violating civil liberties and human rights and the rule of law. And that's wrong. You see, Alvin, I come from the sports talk days. I started that before I did this. And I have to tell you that I I was critical of Pat Riley, despite his amazing record after a loss. I was critical of Bill Walsh and Bill Parcells. So I disagree. I think when you become president, you put yourself up for that. And while while some have done some good things, some have done a lot more bad than good, which included Jimmy Carter. And the guy right now, I'm sorry, I can criticize Joe Biden all day and not feel badly about it. And I can criticize Bill Belichick. And uh, I, I challenge you to criticize Sandy Kopech, so. Come up with anything you want to do. <laughs> that I, I wouldn't do. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm from the days of the Brooklyn Dodgers, of uh, Jackie Robinson, of Carl Ferrillo, of Pee Wee Reese, of Duke Snyder. They were real menches. Uh, do you know they used to go to, they, except for Robinson, he needed security. The rest of them used to go to the ballpark by train. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I went to high school four blocks away from Evans Field, and I would meet, my, my group and I would meet Carl Ferrillo. We knew what train he was on, and we would jog with Carl Ferrillo from the train station, I think it was on Nostrand Avenue, to Ebbets Field. And, and these guys would sign autographs. They'd ask you about how their parents are doing. They were great guys. It was, a, it, it was a different era. I mean, to just to, to move from baseball to football, about the same time, you'll appreciate this, of course, uh, uh, Andy Robustelli, the Hall of Fame yeah. defensive lineman for the Giants. They didn't make the money they made today like these Brooklyn Dodger oh, players. Andy would play football and then run his own family's hardware store on Flappish Avenue and talk to folks like you and I are talking right now. It's a yeah. different era. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or Ali Sherman, guys like that. I mean, these, uh, you know, if I hadn't been a law professor, I would have been a sports announcer. I love sports. (laughs) And I would have called that play in Philadelphia where the guy tugged on his jersey if I had been an umpire. I think a little bit differently, but, uh, uh, you know, I love sports. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, politics has become a blood sport. That has, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and and I wish, you know, I wish we would have more respect for our president on President's Day. Sure, criticism. In fact, criticism is the mark of respect. If you don't criticize somebody, then you don't take him seriously. There isn't a single president. You know, Lincoln suspended the writ of habeas corpus. Roosevelt detained 110,000 Americans in detention centers because they were Japanese. Uh, 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 Jefferson bought Louisiana. Thank God for that. But he did it illegally. He abused his power in doing it. It wasn't his job to do that. It was Congress's job to do it. So, you know, we, we've had mixed presidencies, but on balance, they've been absolutely great. Is there one that stands out for you? Again, you fall short of criticizing these guys too harshly. But is there one, Alan Dershowitz, that during your lifetime you can say, wow, this guy really got it? Well, there are so many. Lincoln, of course, you know, it's it's all situational. Bill Clinton once said to me, the only thing he regrets about his presidency is that there were no major crises that tested his ability. Of course, Lincoln had the Civil War, Roosevelt the Second World War. You know, Teddy Roosevelt is under underestimated in America. That guy built the West. Every single national park that we have, all this great, you know, Yellowstone and all that, it's all Roosevelt's foresight. He was the first environmental uh, president. Uh, there are so many great ones, but I think probably Lincoln, because of the way he was tested and the way he ended his life, has to go down as probably the greatest the greatest president um, in history. But, you know, without Washington, we wouldn't have had a country. He was offered to become king 
and uh, he was offered to run forever. And, of course, he said no. He wanted it to be a republic. And uh, he really formulated the country in, in, in a way. And, and, and even Hamilton, who was never president, he, he created the economy in the United States. He created federalism. Uh, you know, these are, these are incredible men. Hamilton, the smartest, dumbest man who ever lived. <laughs> the, smartest, the smartest of the founding fathers. And the idiot gets into a duel with somebody who has better aim than he has just a couple of years after his son is killed in a duel. What a jerk. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, really is truly the greatest experiment still, even with our challenges. But you mentioned before blood sport, politics becoming blood sport. I love your perspective. And one of the things that I've seen, which has changed so much, even in my lifetime, is how much the Justice Department has become political over the course of the last 10, 12, 15 years. What's your perspective on that, especially considering your incredible background in the legal profession? Well, the Justice Department is one of the most important institutions in America because it decides who to prosecute. The attorney general has an impossible job. It's a schizophrenic job. On the one hand, he's a member of the cabinet. He's supposed to help his president get elected. He's supposed to be loyal to his president. On the other hand, he's supposed to be the chief law enforcement officer of the country. You know, in England, there are two jobs. One, the director of public prosecution. He's the one who decides who gets prosecuted. And the other, the the minister of justice, who's uh, loyal to the president. Israel, the same thing. Minister of justice, loyal to the prime minister. And then an attorney general, who's a non-political appointee. The United States should divide that job into two so that there's a civil servant who's head of the prosecution group of the Justice Department. And you can't politicize something if you're a, a civil servant. Whereas uh, if you are working for the president, if you're in the cabinet, of course you want him to be reelected. And of course you want to make sure that the people who are opposed to him uh, don't get treated as fairly as the people who are in favor of him. So it's an impossible, terrible job, and it ought to be divided into two. But you're absolutely right. It's become politicized. Alan Dershowitz here on Sid and Friends in the Morning. Alan, you mentioned uh, President Trump earlier on this President's Day. He announced a couple of months ago he's running again. Nikki Haley has joined. Yeah. It looks like Ron DeSantis on Staten Island today will be coming relatively soon. Tim Scott, a host of others. But there are still some people out there a little worried that some of these legal issues in front of Trump, whether it's Georgia, January 6th, Mar-a-Lago, may derail that train at some point. Where are we, Alan, in Trump's legal battles? Well, uh, obviously, he has lots of legal battles. Uh, I've studied them all very carefully. I don't think a single one of them rises to the level of criminal conduct. On the other hand, I don't think Benjamin Netanyahu's uh, alleged conduct rises to uh, criminal conduct, and he's being indicted. So you you never know. But uh, uh, the the, uh, Georgia thing may end up in uh, an indictment, but he'll win the case because his statement was so ambiguous. He said, find me, find me. 10,000 or whatever votes. Find me means it could mean discover, find they're there, but find them, or it could mean invent. And you can't prosecute somebody on the basis of an ambiguous statement like that. You can't prosecute him on Mar-a-Lago without prosecuting Biden. And so I don't think, unless there are business deals that we don't know about, I don't think the two big ones, January 6th, um, uh, the three big ones, January 6th and 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 Mar-a-Lago and uh, the election, I don't think will result in criminal prosecution. If it does, by the way, he'll run under indictment the way Mayor Curley ran from prison. It would probably increase and enhance his chances. It would certainly strengthen his base. So I think it's a big mistake to be going after him. And in, in my new book, Get Trump, 
I make all the arguments against why <laughs> he this. should not be prosecuted. He's, you're good. I mean, we were just talking about uh, George Washington's 110 rules of civility, and, and we've realized at the break that while he was an incredible president, he would not make a great morning radio host. No. Uh, I feel the exact no. opposite about you, Alan Dershowitz. Not that you wouldn't make a great president, but that you would make a fantastic morning radio host on top of that and a great sports announcer. Well, you know that uh, uh, Katz, uh, obviously your boss in some ways, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he wanted to put me on to do a special show every Sunday about Brooklyn, uh, re- uh, reminiscences of the old Brooklyn and the new Brooklyn. Right. And uh, yeah, I'd love to do that. I mean, you know, I, I talk a lot, and I grew up in a family where nobody would shut up. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, you know, when you grow up in the streets of Brooklyn, you better learn how to talk or else you'll never say another word in your life. That's uh, true, and that's where I grew up, 2216 Quentin Road, two blocks away from Madison High School. My mom went there. My dad went to Lincoln High School, Allen. I am Brooklyn through and through. As a little boy, my mom and dad would take me to Dubrow's on East 16th Street and Kings Highway that, right there in Brooklyn. I All remember, my memories. Yeah. Did you go? I'm sure you went there too, right? No, it wasn't kosher. So I went to Junior's, oh. and I got special permission to be able to eat only the cheesecake. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what would be, if if you were going to do that show, because this fascinates me, as I always say, the greatest people ever, no disrespect to the Bronx, my former partner, Bernie in Manhattan, but the greatest people God ever created came from Brooklyn. Give me one or two stories quickly you would use if, in fact, this (laughs) Sunday was your first Brooklyn show. (laughs) Oh, there are so many, so many stories. There are some good ones and there are some bad ones. Uh, Let me start with a bad one. My mentor at Brooklyn College was John Hope Franklin, the first African-American chairman of a history department. And I studied with him enormously. And, you know, he taught at Brooklyn College. He couldn't rent an apartment near Brooklyn College. Even back in 1957, he had to move away. Uh, Jackie Robinson had to move into the home of uh, the Simons from Simon & Schuster because he couldn't rent a house in Brooklyn. So, you know, with all the goods of Brooklyn, eh, there was a little bit of racism there, a little bit of racism there, too. But, uh, uh, you know, there are so many good things. There are so many good things. And I would want to emphasize the good things. And uh, today, of course, I couldn't afford to live in Brooklyn. When I moved back to New York, I said, I'm going to go back to Brooklyn. I couldn't afford it. I had to move to Sutton Place. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends. If you move to Dumbo or downtown, you're right. But there's still parts of, like, Marine Park and Bay Ridge, I guess, and Fensonhurst that are still yeah, affordable. Park. I yeah. could go to Borough Park, but the <laughs> Borough Park. would never leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, come on. True. Uh, when does this book, Get Trump, come out for all of us to read? In about two weeks. Oh, wow. Uh, you, can, you can already order it on Amazon, and, uh, you know, you'll get it the day it comes out. And I think people will enjoy it, whether you're a liberal or conservative, whether you vote for Trump or not. uh, Nobody should see anybody uh, picked on by the legal system and have the legal system directed to trying to prevent him from running, which is what's going on. New York Times had a big op-ed the other day, one of my former students, saying, be prepared for an indictment. Uh, But uh, these guys have gotten it wrong all the time because they confuse their predictions with what they want to happen. The reason I usually get it right is I never let my personal views interfere with what I think is going to happen legally. I'm a legal analyst, and I always call it the way I see it. By the way, according to my dear friend Joseph Abudo, who helped honor Friday night at the National Arts 
I guess, museum or center in a lower Manhattan, Gramercy Park. He says, ask Allen, who he played against in college basketball. He claims you played college basketball against the great designer Ralph Lauren. Is that true? High school. High, high school. school. Madison Square Garden, April 1964. Wow. Uh, he was not a great ball player, but he really dressed well. <laughs> really dressed well. And his name was Ralphie Lipschitz, and I still have the program. Dershowitz, number 99. Ralphie Lipschitz, I think it was number 17. This is great. He beat us, beat us badly. But I got to play in Madison Square Garden, so that was a big thrill. Alan, it's always a big thrill having you here. Thank you so much for another great appearance, buddy. Thank you so much. All right, take care. There he is, a great constitutional lawyer, Alan Dershowitz, right here on Sit and Friends in the Morning. Wrapping up our number three, Dr. Mark Siegel on Sit's Take Still to Come. Keep it right here on Monday morning with us. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. From my friends. 77 WABC. 17 years by her side. Broke the same bread. Wore the same clothes. And he said, we're sisters with nothing between. If one of us falls. For your life as we start the fourth and final hour of the number one Nielsen-rated news talk show in New York City. And you bet your ass is self-proclaimed best talk show in America. And I say it proudly, sitting friends in the morning. But Dr. Mark Siegel coming up. I do want to remind folks, John Katsimatidis, the man himself, was on with me and Andrew earlier. And uh, he said he was going to put this up on the website, and he has. Go to WABCRadio.com right now, WABCRadio.com right now, and check out George Washington's 110 Rules of Civility. Of course, uh, George being the first president of the United States. Now we're up to 46 with Joe Biden. Some of us served more than once. Hopefully Donald Trump goes 45 and 47. Check that out right now at WABCRadio.com, George Washington's 110 Rules of Civility, because there isn't a lot of folks in the media today that believe civility has gone out the window, and it has. I mean, Trump's an animal. I'm Uh, I'm looking at number 32, and it says, uh, to one that is your equal or not much inferior, you were to give the chief place in your lodging. So give up your bedroom for that person. But it doesn't mention anything about washing the sheets before or after. (laughs) Well, that's what we're doing here in New York, actually. If you're a migrant, you could have my house. (laughs) Uh, Also, I want to send a shout-out to a dear friend of mine, Joe D. from Rick's. Listens every morning. Lonnie Hanover used to. I think Joe D. does right now. So a shout-out to Joe D. from Rick's. 9-10 on this Monday morning. He is a man when it comes to anything medical at Fox News. Not that far from sharing a lovely dinner, mind you, with John and Margot Katsimatidis and Chad Lopez and Emily Pankow and my beautiful wife, Danielle. And, of course, a staple on this program, 
the great Dr. Mark Siegel. Dr. Mark, Sid, Andrew, how are you, pal? Great to be with you. And I have to say that uh, your wife is very impressive at a dinner. That's for sure. <laughs> Thank you. She loves you, too. Thank you very much. Uh, she's not feeling all that well these days, and my son wasn't feeling great this weekend either. And we don't know if it's COVID just yet, but it does seem like even though, again, I'm the guy that's been wailing against COVID, the way we've reacted over the years, the way the media treats it, how people are scared to death. I mean, still, I'm still seeing tons and tons of people wearing masks indoors, outdoors. They're morons. They're morons. But people are still getting sick with COVID, not nearly as serious, but it's still out there, yes? Yeah, it's still out there. And, and I think the, the stuff with the masks and all of that was a was political. It's all politics. And we learned something really big here over this pandemic, which is when you get bludgeoned or ridiculed or mocked, you respond by just resisting and, and, and fighting back. And that's what the American spirit is. And it's unfortunate that that's drifted over into public health because, as you said, the, the actual virus is itself is a problem and it's still around and it's still getting people sick. But look at the damage that was done, Sid, from the way that the government reacted to it across the board. So, you know, we, yeah, we, we talked with our last guest, Alan Dershowitz, about the Justice Department becoming politicized. But the same thing with the science community, it seems like, has become so politicized. This I was reading something else that uh, they're still requiring uh, boosters, uh, updated uh, vaccine shots. Uh, to get into so many of these colleges in the state of New York, in the Sunnis. Uh, and to me, every time that we've seen this, you look at the least vulnerable part of the population, it's the 18 to 21-year-olds. And, and it seems like while the teachers are not being mandated to actually get this, the students are. Yeah, that's been the real big problem. And that's the teachers union got involved with that and had influence on the CDC. And I think the biggest issue there is, that even though the vaccine is effective to some, to some extent, it doesn't prevent spread. And there's no way without a Ouija board to actually figure out how many shots you're supposed to get to be at a place where a college would be okay with you. And not only that, a college is a place where these things can be tracked. So you actually can do rapid tests and keep track of it. I mean, it, it's a place where there's no reason to be superimposing these mandates other than this rigidity that we're talking about. So, By the way, Sid, I'm really hoping nobody's got this in the family. What, I, I, what COVID? Yeah, who wants it? Nobody wants nah, it. I mean, we, sure. No, we've all gotten it already, so. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the other point. Most most cases are mild. By the way, it's, it's speaking of which, uh, going to, to stay in other people's bedrooms, how many people have illicitly slept in the Lincoln bedroom at the White House? <laughs> I don't know. Kennedy had that uh, that thing working like uh, 24 hours, seven days a week. I can tell you that. God rest his like soul. Like a motel. Like a motel. I know. I know. Uh, good old Kennedy. You know, uh, I got these uh, two buddies I'm very close with, Dr. Mark Siegel, Stefano. They call him Stephen. And, um, and Dr. George Pavlu. And every year they come in. On March the 1st, because March the 1st starts Prostate Awareness Month. And uh, they're a huge gastro place in New Jersey. I believe the biggest gastro place in the Northeast. I remember last year, Bernard, God rest his soul, was still alive. And they were asking him some serious questions about, you know, what he did, what he found out a couple of years ago when he had a high PSI, what he, what's, hey, what he's done since, all these things. And, of course, now we've lost, tragically, Bernard, Oh, just a couple of months ago. But these two guys are scheduled to come back again next Tuesday, February the 28th. And with March 1st being Prostate Awareness Month, 
Tell the folks out there how important that month is and what men should be doing to make sure that, God forbid, it doesn't end up like my friend Bernard. And by the way, you already said the most important thing, which is you should have your PSA checked uh, over the age of 45 and get seen by your doctor. You know, that's another example of the government screwing up because the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force doesn't recommend that. I scratched my head and said, here's a guideline. Don't get this test that I could, you know, because people then automatically go to biopsies. But that, I'm, a, I'm a doctor with a brain. So I say, well, I'm going to use the test to figure out, you know, what exactly to do next. And as, as you know, Andrew's father famously had this mm-hmm. and, and beat it. And, and God, God rest his soul to Bernard, a wonderful, wonderful human being. But you actually can beat this with early intervention. Well, what's the rationale behind not recommending that? Just playing the devil's advocate. What's the rationale there? It's what's, it's what's wrong with guidelines and with government in general involvement in healthcare. The rationale is they looked at the statistics of doctors who had that number and biopsied and didn't change the outcome. But they didn't look at whether those doctors had a brain or not. Yeah. So for me, it's a tool to use to decide what to do. Sometimes I follow the trend. Sometimes I say, go see a urologist. Sometimes I say it's falsely elevated from something else. But I got a brain, and that's what it's there for. I need the number. I was thinking about you on Super Bowl Sunday, Dr. Mark Siegel. I was watching the pregame coverage of the game, you know. And um, so uh, Menifee, Kurt Menifee, he's a studio host for Fox. You know, James Brown does CBS, Kurt does Fox. And they're talking about this kid, Hamlin, from the Bills, who, who is a lovely kid, a lovely kid and very, very bright and somewhere down the road should really do something big with the NFL outside of playing. But not once, but twice, twice, he referred to Hamlin's incident as tragic. And I would say, being that Hamlin was at the Super Bowl, is completely okay, and in fact is talking about returning to the football field, that short of death, there was nothing tragic about what happened to Hamlin, but yet they continue to use that narrative. Did you hear that? Yeah, and I didn't like it. And by the way, I interviewed Leslie Bisson, who's the Buffalo Bills team physician, about this whole thing. And he was in that ceremony at the beginning of the Super Bowl, deeply moved. He likes Hamlin a lot as a character. He's kind of like a, a very upbeat Sid Rosenberg type of character. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and he's he's very optimistic. And all of them think this this was probably Comosio Cortis, where he just got hit in the wrong time in the cardiac cycle, and that he is going to return to football. Tom Mayer the, the medical doctor or the medical director of the, uh, the NFL Players Association says he's going to return to football. That's not tragic. It may be inspiring, but right. it's not tragic. Exactly. The, stor- yep. the story is about about all the doctors and and uh, support personnel on the sidelines. And I'll tell you something that Bison told me that you're going to love, Sid. He said the most important person on the field that day was the equipment manager who got his shoulder pads and helmet off true. in record time yep. so wow. that he could be treated. That is yeah. true. Uh, my friend John Bayabar says, man, this guy, Dr. Mark Siegel, is the best in the business. I'll tell you what's tragic is the Texas Rangers gave Jacob DeGrom $180 million. He's already hurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, we knew that. You you predicted that. I did. You predicted I did. I said, you know? that's, that's why bringing in Justin Verlander, even just two years removed from Tommy John and nearly 40 years old, you win because DeGrom never pitches. What's up with his arm? Well, I think it has something to do with how he throws. He throws about 100 miles an hour. I've told you on the show before, look at how Tom Seaver threw with his legs. 
DeGrom throws with his arm, so the physics is off there. I mean, you and I should be out there diagnosing and telling these people what to do. It's a tragedy because DeGrom is a great pitcher, but he doesn't throw in a way that, that, that leaves, relieves the pressure on his arm. And we've seen other athletes do the same thing. I mean, we all agree, of course, that uh, Tiger Woods is the third best copper of all time behind Jack Nicklaus and Andrew Giuliani. <laughs> but certainly when you watch that vicious swing from Tiger Woods, there was no way in a million years at some point he wasn't going to have a bad back. There was just no way. I still don't understand how he came back from that, by the way. The, the, the physics of that is very difficult because the torsion that you put on the back during this, the golf swing is, is huge. The fact that he came back, but I agree with you. I, I think that he, he didn't have the kind of swing that you would expect longe- longevity from. The way that the way that Seaver did, the way that Nolan Ryan did, the way that DeGrom does not. Yeah, well, with Tiger, I mean, same thing. That swing was so violent. He would talk about almost hyperextending his left knee every single time. Now you hear actually what it took for him to get prepared from this. He actually, the way he sells it is he was taking ice baths actually throughout the night before every single tournament round and having to then reactivate his muscles. So it sounds like his preparation process, his cool down and then preparation process is at least a three or four hour process after and before each round at this point. Yeah, I believe that. I hope it's guided by some physician or we're going to hear. hear I doubt that. No, I doubt that. More likely a porn star. Uh, Listen, on the way out, (laughs) yeah, with Tiger. uh, Maybe a waitress. Uh, uh, Rachel, you could tell. Uh, It is the, today is, of course, uh, President's Day. Happy President's Day. And we did learn, of course, that, uh, thank you, Norm, you like that, that uh, 39 Jimmy Carter is in very, very serious condition. He's decided to take the hospice care at home and, for a lot of us that have lost people like my own dad, usually when that happens, it's over relatively quickly. That seems to be the diagnosis for Jimmy Carter. How sad is that? I have a piece in USA Today on that today. You know, it, there's some things I want to talk about with Jimmy Carter. Uh, the hospice thing is probably due to the frequent falls he's had and the bleeds to the brain, and it may be appropriate if quality of care is diminished. The purpose of hospice isn't to hasten death. It's to actually provide service. But what, he, what I remember him for was beating melanoma at a time when we didn't think anybody could. And he used a new drug, Keytruda, immunotherapy, and actually beat mel- melanoma with radiation. Also, he beat guinea worms in the world, Sid. I mean, guinea worms, we're getting a lot of people sick around the world. Now there's only 13 cases. And then there's Habitat for Humanity, his his uh, building things, you know, and, and building uh, and repairing homes around the uh, around the country. So he's done a lot in the post presidency. I mean, you know, he, as a president, he he was pretty weak on the economy, terrible on Iran. But post presidency, he's made a lot of things happen. You know, we're short on time with Dr. Mark Siegel here, but one of the things you highlighted last week is something that I know is close to Sid's heart, something I think about all the time with a young daughter who's, uh, you know, at some point going to have to be exposed to the phone and, and all of that. But you talked about really the trouble when this is a CDC report uh, with shocking teen girls and teens at more and more suicide attempts. And it really is something that uh, I could tell you as a young parent, I think about and talk about with my wife all the time. We talk with other parents about how you're going to actually introduce this uh, to your kids because it is so addictive. Uh, but I thought for any young parent, it was a fascinating read uh, and uh, and certainly something that we think about on a daily basis. 
I did a lot of thinking about this because I spoke to two top-level people at CDC, one who was in charge of this study, and the study was shocking. 56% of, of teen girls are sad, deeply sad. One-third consider suicide, bullying up the wazoo. There was that case in New Jersey. Oh, Andrew, it's terrible. Of, of, yeah. of young girl, yeah. And they, they showed it all over YouTube. But I'll tell you what my take-home is. I, I am a ferocious parent. And when my kids were young, I went to the school and fought for them. I was an advocate. And Sid is definitely the same, and I'm sure you, you are. And I'm sure, Sid, I'm sure you guys are not surprised at this. But, but the CDC talks about the school being the solution. I think it's about schools listening to parents yes. and, and teens talking to their parents. Because the school may be the source of the problem. Parents have to be involved. Uh, nine times out of ten with my son Gabriel, the majority of his issues over the last couple of years were the school. Mom and dad, great. To your point, was the school. Dr. Mark Siegel, as always, terrific. Oh, by the way, Saturday night, Knicks Pelicans, Sydney and Gabriel, courtesy of you. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about Zion and, and, and the and the beer and the of course Gabriel's not having the beer, but but you'll have a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully Zion's gonna play. Actually, uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, Knicks and Pelicans on Saturday, and then me and Gabe are going the first, thanks to Corey Selnick to the Knicks and the Nets. We got two Nick games in five days and the Knicks are playing some really good basketball. Jay Wright, very excited these days, Dr. Mark Siegel, about his Villanova Amazing. products. Yeah, Jalen Brunson and Hart. How about that? I think they're going to go much deeper in the playoffs than I was expecting. We're going to go there, too, Sid. You and I will have a stake and go to the playoffs. I can't wait. Thank you so much for hopping on today, Dr. Mark. You're great as always. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My man, Dr. Mark Siegel right here. We'll uh, need a contestant at some point for Sid's take, 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. I believe it's a movie Monday. No, we got Andrew here. It's me against Andrew. No contestant. Me against Andrew. More of Sid and Friends in the morning right after this. Oi! This is Sid and Friends in the morning. Friends, how many of us have them? 77 WABC. The windows go against my cheek. I've got this fear inside of me. Walk down the stairs into the street. Yesterday, this is St. Louis uh, Leonard's. I should say it's you. So, Rich, of course, was a uh, great stand-up comic. I'm old enough to remember that. This uh, generation knows him as Munch on Law and Order. But according to the Sumba, somebody in his house, as he did pass away at home in California yesterday, the last words from Richard Belzer, the very last words were, "F you." 
Swear to God. <laughs> it says here uh, his last words were F.U. Mother Effer. Belzer died early Sunday at his home in France, not California. In France, his pal writer Bill Sheft told the Hollywood Reporter. So there you have it. Munch is uh, he out the house. That's it. Richard Belzer. You liked him, uh, Justin? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I honestly didn't know the name until I saw the face, and I recognized the face, and now I know the name. So yeah. there you go. How about you? You liked him, Joe? I love Law & Order. I, my wife and I will catch a Law & Order, and we need to make sure we shut it off at the credits because they do an incredible job of hooking you in in 60 seconds for the next one. Like, they I've really never do. seen a show that just within 60 seconds you're in, and you watch that first that first scene, and all of a sudden, you know, there goes an hour. Anybody go see Ant-Man this weekend? It killed it in the box office. I, I swear to God. It. I missed it. Who was uh, the star of that? Is that Paul Rudd? Yeah. Paul Rudd. But according yeah. to people like who actually follow Marvel, it's it's actually one of their worst movies. Well, isn't Ant-Man like one of their worst, uh, I guess, characters? Or yeah, it's, stupid, it's a stupid concept. For he like, shrinks up and like enters people's bodies. Well, he can also get really big, Phil. Can he? Yeah. So he can. How Why do they call him Ant Man? How big can he? He can get, get ginormous. Why do they call him Elephant get, Man? He can then. get as big as he wants to get. So why does Whoa. he choose to Whoa. be so tiny all the time? Well, because sometimes that plays that plays uh, plays bigger. I it's guess. a stupid character. Pun intended. Stupid yeah. movie. Yeah. Stupid character. Mm. All right. Well, sticking with the uh, dead celebrities, this guy's not dead yet, but he will be uh, momentarily. <laughs> I hate to say it, but Tom Sizemore, oh, 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 okay. who was great in uh, Saving Private Ryan, yeah. and who could forget his performance alongside Heidi Flights all those years on that Dr. Drew show. Yeah. Oh, what was that again? Um, oh, celebrity celebrity rehab. rehab. Yeah, Tom Sizemore, who was really a great actor. He is in very serious critical condition. In fact, he's in intensive care. He's now 61 years old. He's had a rough life. Yeah. Currently in critical condition, it's a wait-and-see situation. His family is waiting for medical updates. So according to TMZ, Sizemore was in his Los Angeles home when he suffered a aneurysm. Oh, boy. Yeah. 2 a.m. Saturday, fell unconscious. So it doesn't look good for uh, Tom Sizemore. Yeah. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, incredible movie. <laughs> and just, that uh, was. you know, obviously very sad. And that really was. To his family. Tom Hanks. That was... Um, I was watching Forrest Gump again yesterday for the thousandth time. That was on after the Rocky yeah. uh, Marathon. And I just, it occurred to me how brilliant Tom Hanks is. Yeah. I remember watching Tom Hanks on a show with Peter Scolari on television. It was called Bosom Buddies, mm-hmm. well before your time. And they dressed up as women. It was a silly sitcom, you know. And this guy has gone on to become, whether you like him or not, mm-hmm. one of the greatest actors in the history of Hollywood. He's I mean, he's incredible. won two Academy Awards, yeah. right, for Forrest Gump and Philadelphia. Yeah. Every movie he does is good, yeah. almost all of them. And he might have won the very next year for Apollo 13, but they wouldn't let him get nominated because you could not win three years That's in a right. row. That That's was right. part of it because he was great as Captain Jim Levin. And how did he not win in Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, was, the, was he up against Russell Crowe and Gladiator? He that may year, have been maybe? that year, yeah. 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 Who could forget his performance talking to a soccer ball for about two hours? That's true. <laughs> What's that? Wilson. Wilson. Even that was, it was a volleyball. It was a volleyball. I mean, he made some, some crappy forgot. movies. Turner and Hooch, not exactly great. I still like that movie. Did you like no. it? I still liked it. It's cute. I don't know. Joe but, versus yeah. the Volcano, not exactly yeah, that great. great. I mean, yeah. he had a couple of ones that you might want to forget, but he made some real legendary films. Yeah, I was up at Rye Playland earlier this, sum- this summer, and uh, I just kept thinking about Big. And, and, and oh, that, I love that oh, movie. It's a great movie. Uh, well, actually, Penny Marshall, the great Laverne, uh, wrote, directed, and produced that. Yeah. 
and he's a 14-year-old boy in a big man's body. Yeah. Elizabeth Perkins, who was great in the movie About Last Night with Demi Moore and uh, Belushi and uh, Rob Lowe, she was in that. Mm-hmm. She plays his quote-unquote girlfriend. And John Hurd was a great actor. He's dead now, too. He was in that. He plays uh, kind of the douchey sales guy at the company. Yeah. Jealous of, of uh, Tom Hanks. But that was an adorable movie. It really yeah. was. I can't think of any movies he's been in about presidents or even portraying any uh, any fictional presidents. No, that's all Harrison Ford. Yeah, that's I Harrison always think of Ford. Harrison Ford, right? Air right. Force One. Yep. He's made a bunch of those. Yes. Michael Douglas did the American president. The American that was pretty president, good. Right. Morgan Freeman has come in yes. as a president a couple of times. Didn't uh, was that the character Bullworth or something? But Warren Beatty was that a president? I, he, think? I think he was running for president. Yeah, I think he was he a was. senator. Who was running for president. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah. uh, I don't think he ended up making. Who the played the president in the show The West Wing? Oh, and, uh, Char- not Charles Sheen. Sheen. Martin, Sheen. Martin Sheen. No, was Martin Sheen the actual president? I believe he I was. I think he was, right? I believe he was yeah. Martin Sheen. And then what about the he? one with uh, with Washington, the, the really pretty African-American girl, and uh, the guy, uh, Goldman, another uh, TV show? Which Remember that one? Uh, show, show was this? It show. was called, uh, well, I forgot now. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. No, it was, a, it was like a huge success. Oh, huge success. Oh, the one. what's the guy, the, the pedophile guy now? Or what's his name? He's a pedophile? Who's a pedophile? What's that one? Uh, White George Ho- Washington wasn't a pedophile. <laughs> oh, no, not George Washington. What's that one uh, president show? The one uh, is I don't political? Know what I have no idea what you're talking Everyone about. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Kevin Spacey. Oh, no, uh, no. House oh, of Cards. Yeah, that's what you're... Uh, House of Cards. Yeah, uh, that, that's not the same oh, okay, show I'm talking that. about, but yes, that's, that was a great show, too. Jamie Foxx was a president in a movie. He was? Yeah, with with Channing Tatum. Oh, yeah. It was that like action one of those, yes. right. White House Down, I think it was. I enjoyed yeah. that movie, actually. It's pretty cool. I enjoyed that movie. I saw... What's his name, actually, was in a White House movie... When it came under fire, the the big handsome muscular guy, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's not him, no. The Rock. Thank you. Yeah, not, not him either. Oh. No. You know, I saw The Rock on Saturday for some reason. What are we doing? I, 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 I was watching. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I was watching. Um, yes, thank you, Frankie Kravitz, the great jeweler out of Staten Island. Scandal, huge show. Oh, okay. huge. Oh, yes, yes, yes. very thank big you. show. Yes, yes. So I was watching uh, Kevin Klein, very good Harry Mays. I was watching for some reason XFL coverage. Right. Does The Rock own a couple of teams or something? Yeah, he, he owns, owns the, the XFL. He's, he's a part he owner in the, the league. He owns the XFL? He is. I like, think he's what is he doing owner. in this? He well, is. he bought it from Vince McMahon, right? It was like I think I think he bought it for like $30 million. Or he's like the majority owner. He's basically the face of the XFL now. That's why, I guess. Yes, yes he is. He was there the, the whole time. Yeah. And they did these stories on these players who basically are not good enough to play in the NFL, so they took this job, and it's a beautiful story. Yeah. Traffic is coming up next, but right now it's time for the 77 <laughs> WABC Clip of the Day. Plus, we're going to play Sid's Take. Listen to our guy, John Katz-Matidis. He was great on this show at 7.05 this morning. And by the way, check out WABCRadio.com right now for George Washington's 110 Rules of Civility on this President's Day holiday. Uh, John Katz-Matidis, where common sense prevails every Sunday morning starting at 8, always telling both sides of the story. Here John talks with our guy, Tom Cotton. You know, when you wake up 3 o'clock in the morning and you can't sleep, what keeps you up? Uh, What's the number one item? Well, to be literal, it's my seven- and six-year-old boys that usually wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. But whenever I uh, can't go back to sleep after they woke me up, what's always on my mind, John, is the threat from uh, the Chinese communists. I think it's the greatest threat we face in the world today, maybe the worst threat we've ever faced, more so even than Soviet Russia, because China's economy is so much bigger than Russia's ever was, and their economy is so much more entangled to our economy. You talk, we listen. 77 WABC. Oi! Now, 
It's time for Sid's Take. Sid's Take! Sid's Take, yeah! Good luck! It's Sid's Take. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. Alrighty. Justin Alecker, hosting the game from uh, from the board, if you will. Yeah, I was going to say, what is it's like an HR policy or something like that? You guys aren't uh, in the room over here. Do no. I stink or what's, what's no, going on? You, what's you the, I, need I, I need to be sitting here. I'm I normally, just sat there. I'm normally yeah. pretty secure in myself, but uh, I mean. Now you're all alone on? and you're staring through the window? Yeah, yeah now sad. I feel bad questions. for you. Questions yeah. are rolling through my head right now. I don't even know. <laughs> Let's hope I have some answers. Yeah, well, uh, we better hope so. Uh, Before we get into it here in the game, of course, sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. you got to go to peerlessboilers.com, paviliontankless.com to find a dealer near you because they're America's best built boilers. We have a movie Monday trivia today, and I know you had mentioned that you you were seeking some President's Day questions, but Phil had already written the game. So... I didn't even know it was President's Day. And yeah. we couldn't, you didn't even know. And Someone should that. have mentioned it yeah. at some point during the show. We should have. You can't trust like Phil six, to... Uh, 602, I think we had it out there by that. And the <laughs> rules of civility. Yeah, you know I don't and, listen to this show. Yeah. Dershowitz. What? And I think Dr. Even yeah, Mark, I think even Dr. Mark Siegel talked about the health of presidents. Uh, but uh, but yeah. it's good you, you're tuning yeah. in. So at least we know Phil was listening. Yeah. and uh, But we'll get into it. We've got a fun game lined up for you today. Are you ready to go? As ready as I'll ever be. That's true. That's true. Number one. What is Bill Murray's job in the movie Groundhog Day? He is a weatherman. There we go. Off to a hot start. That's good. That's good. Weatherman. Weatherman. uh, Phil. Yeah, there you go. That's a great movie. It is. I'm more of a Staten Island Chuck guy, but (laughs) Tony Phil. Yeah, I get it. I get it. All right, one for one under number two. What kind of building did the Ghostbusters set their headquarters in? Oh, I know this because it's about less than less than a mile from where I live. I got a great picture with Grace. It's in a uh, well. It's a firehouse now. And they still have the Ghostbusters stuff out there. It's uh, it's in Tribeca. I forget the exact street that it's on, but it's not too far away from the first precinct. And uh, it's uh, it's great. I loved Ghostbusters. Bro. Well, if we had extra, if there was an extra credit option, I would have given it to you. People okay. people still all the time stop there and take pictures. Like I, I do. I was I was at a I was at a restaurant across the street and had like fifty people in the hour span just take pictures all the time. Yeah, well, that's what I just said. I said I took pictures <laughs> there, so you know. Well, it's not just you. Know. you. I want to make you feel included. You know. Oh, okay. Well, that's not that thanks. unique. Yeah. Thank you. Once well, again, I mean, you could have come in here and sit with me if you wanted to feel right, included. Yeah. I don't think you really want to make me feel included. I think you want the listening audience to think that you want to feel included, but you don't really want to. I feel much safer behind this uh, bulletproof glass. So it is an HR thing. Yeah, I got exactly. Of it. All right, two for two. On to number three. Who did the treasure map belong to in the Goonies? Oh, I, that's you know it's funny. Everybody's told me I've got to see the Goonies, and every time I say you haven't seen you haven't seen the Goonies, I'm sure Phil will say the same thing. Uh, it belonged to uh, Rudy. Wasn't the guy who played Rudy the character in that movie? Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. Matt Dillon, maybe. One-eyed Willie would be the correct answer. Ah, uh, one-eyed Willie. That sounds like uh, it related to Gnome's Nuggets. Well, oh, back on the back on the wagon here. Okay, two for three. There we go. In the 1988 movie Big. What was the name of the arcade machine that Josh Baskin used to make a wish? Is it A, Balthazar, B, Zoltar, or C, Gorgonzola? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a D, Bree? No, I'm going with B, Zoltar. <laughs> should have been Gorgonzola. Yeah, should have been. I like Gorgonzola. That would be great. All right, three for four. Yes. On to number five in an attempt to go four for five. Really put Sid up against it here. Yeah. High five, Smiler, Devil. 
hysterical laughter, and poop are amongst some of the main characters in what popular 2010s movie? Oh, no way. <laughs> poop? Yeah, there's no way you're going to get this. What are a couple of the other ones? Poop. High five, smiler, devil, hysterical, laughter. Poop. Oh, is this, uh, I didn't see this, but is it Suicide Squad? Oof. No, it's not, it's not a bad guess. Not a bad I tried. guess. I tried. The, um, the Emoji Movie. Oh, the Emoji Movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I missed that one because I was uh, busy being uh, an adult or trying to be an adult. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you know, you have a young daughter. Yeah. Maybe you took her to see it. Not it in 2010, a... I didn't have a young daughter. That, that's true. That's true. To, 2010s. So. 20, what was the uh, 2017? Oh, 2017. I okay. still not, still not at that point. <laughs> still, still well, you could have gone to, to see it, you know. Yeah, there's that whole thing in the White House that probably kept yeah, from the emoji. I'm surprised they didn't screen it there. You weren't yeah. seeing a lot of movies then. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No. All right, we got the yeah. big guy back here. How do you do? You did well. Three for five. five not right. bad. Not Let's respect. go. It's good. Respectable. Respectable. Uh, and you're ready to go. I'm ready to go. All right, number one. What is Bill Murray's job in the movie Groundhog Day? He's the groundskeeper. Oh, no, you got the wrong movie. Oh, Caddyshack, I'm thinking. In Groundhog Day, he is a... I don't know. Mm. Yeah, you do. He was a weatherman. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Did you get that right? He I did. did get that nice job. Right. Yeah, Thank you. Know. Thank you. It's tough. They don't really uh, advertise that much in the movie. Yeah, and when yeah. you think Bill Murray job, the first thing you think is groundskeeper, right? right? right. right. Oh, actor. Yeah. <laughs> or active. Good, good brilliant, call brilliant, there. brilliant yeah. call. Yeah. All right, Oprah one, on to number two. What kind of building did the Ghostbusters set their headquarters in? What kind of building? Yeah, what kind of what kind of building? What you got it? this right? Mm. I did. I but I was a Ghostbuster Library? growing up. Oh no. <gasps> but the first Ghostbusters scene. is so stupid. I didn't watch it. I you didn't like it? it? Who wrote no. the game? Dumped is it Bill Murray's birthday or something? Is he dying? Yes. No. Oh yeah, that is back to back. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. But I'll tell you what, he did the first scene in Ghostbusters was at the New York Public Library. I see I remember so I that, see that part. Was, yeah. You're getting the associations of Bill Murray, but the Green Monster came out then. The yeah. Firehouse. That's right. No. That's right. Firehouse. Yeah. No. Harry was Ramis president. was a brilliant, brilliant writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was one of those guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. Over two. Okay. You gotta go perfect here to win the game. Yeah, I won't. To tie. Num- <laughs> to tie, yeah. Number three, who did the treasure map belong to in The Goonies? Dwight Gooden? <laughs> you are on your game today, It's a different map. It's on top of it. I mean, you wrote this game for like Giuliani. Uh, I'm 55 years old. The Goonies, Ghostbusters. The Goonies came out in like 1980. Oh, yeah, good point. One-Eyed Willie. I just didn't like it that much. I, 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 I didn't like I it love Robert Davi. I mean, I, I was in the movie Gemini Lounge with Robert Davi. That wasn't I mean, one of the questions, though. No. Yeah. Yeah. It should have been. been a Gemini Lounge answer. I what are you thinking, Phil? Are you trying yeah. to keep your job here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen it. I don't know anything well, about the movie. I'm, I'm, I'm up for three. What's next? <laughs> on uh, number four, in the 1988 movie Big. What was the name of the arcade machine that Josh Baskin used to make a wish? Is it A, Balthazar, B, Zolthar, or C, Gorgonzola? My favorite cheese, mm. but the answer is B. <laughs> that was in um, New Jersey. Yeah. That was in... Um... That was right Playland. No, it wasn't. It was New Jersey. Oh. Yeah, but I forgot exactly where it was. I believe... You can look I it up. I thought it was fried playlist. I think it was New Jersey. And I can't believe Gorgonzola. I mean, Gorgonzola is a great cheese. Yeah, I love better it. than mozzarella? Mm, tough call. Yeah, mozzarella. I like blue cheese also. I like mm. brie also. Yeah, it was in Cliffside Park. I don't know. I like a lot of cheese, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that movie, now? though. What was the name of the song that he sang with his buddy Billy when uh, they were walking down the street with their stickball bats? Very famous. You remember that? I didn't know. You don't remember? No. Okay. All right. Do you? No. Oh, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I got nothing for you. I just okay. remember the part when uh, Elizabeth Perkins started to fool around with him. Yeah. Oh. And she shut the lights up and he put the lights back on just to look at her. I thought it was adorable. <laughs> <laughs>
right. On to number five. He goes, he's got bunk beds. He goes, you get to sleep on top tonight. She goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you definitely will not get this one right. Uh-huh. High five, smiler, devil, hysterical laughter, and poop are amongst some of the main characters in what popular 2010s movie? It came out in 2017. You got this right? No, I didn't get it. No, you didn't get it. Um, I know the movie, actually. Oh, do you? The Godfather. No. Well, it came out in 72. They're all characters Godfather in that movie. Godfather Part 3. <laughs> the Emoji Movie. The Emoji Movie. That was a game for, uh, for who I don't know. Who wrote that today? Phil again? Mm. That was tough. I'm a little disappointed in him, too. Yeah, you know, we could have had some president stuff. Right. Yeah, just I, saying. I, how was I supposed to know today's President's Day? Maybe mention it on the show yeah, once or twice? Six, I have three. to tell you it's President's Maybe Day? Maybe mention it on the show the, once or twice? The it owner like, of the station, John Katz. Yeah. He's coming in for it. What am I supposed to know these things? should be very By the way, and if he did that, I still would get him wrong anyway. Yeah. said, who's the star of Air Force One? But if he got into particulars, I wouldn't remember any of that stuff. Yeah. All right. I like like Night Shift and Last American Virgin. And Let me write this down. Caddy Shot, uh-huh. Rocky, Ge- Gemini Lounge, Gemini Lounge. Gemini Lounge. Yeah, but I watched seven hours of Rocky yesterday. Seven hours. I love Rocky. You should <laughs> actually do a Rocky one. Yeah. I know my Rocky stuff too. We could have a nice battle yeah, royale. On Rocky. I almost actually put a Rocky question. This. That's I shut it off when Tommy Morrison and the Rocky Five. Yeah. Like, I'm done with I this. Can't five even, I can't believe you even got. <laughs> I got to right in the Rocky middle of five, five with Tommy Morrison. <laughs> yeah, crazy. But one through four are incredible. Five's terrible. And then I liked Rocky Balboa. I liked it. And I liked the Creed. I like Creed, too. I, the the yeah. Creed one, If the fact that he didn't get the Academy Award for that one, that's when. That's the second and final time I shut off the Academy Racist. Awards. Racist. Totally. Right there. Totally. Uh, Creed 3 is uh, out now, I think. Mm, it's yeah, a yeah. now. I mean, you know, I fight with my family all the time about the Rockies. Look, I didn't love Rocky 1 as much as Rocky 2. It's very simple. Answer why. I didn't know who Rocky Balboa was in Rocky 1. So by the time 1 was over, it was like, oh, my God, I love this guy. And I want them to win so badly in Rocky 2. Mm-hmm. So when his wife wakes up out of the coma, she says, do me a favor. Come here. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Win, Rocky. Win. There was nothing in Rocky 1 to even compete with that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Because you know, at that point, I'm like, I love him. I want him to beat Creed. And now his wife out of a coma, win, Rocky, win. That's the best Rocky of all, Rocky yeah. 2. But I will say Rocky 2 is a very slow movie until you get to that win, Rocky, win. And then it's maybe the best 25 minutes of Rocky. Yeah, you're right. Of the whole of the whole. because yeah, he's acting and they get married. And it's kind of slow and he yeah. goes in, you know. Yeah. And he's, uh, I, I do love the line when he's like, uh, you know, you should invest in uh, condominiums. He says, I don't wear them. I never wear them. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all good. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, who's doing a great job right now, great job in Tulsa King. That's an amazing show, too. That. Oh, you haven't seen it I haven't yet? seen it. I got to oh, see it. Oh, you're going to love it. He's great. Yeah. We'll come back and wrap things up. The President's Day Monday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning right after this. It's Sid's Take. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Shimmy, shimmy, Cocoa Pop. Great job by Helen Francello on Instagram at Rosenberg.Sydney. That is the song from Big Shimmy, Shimmy, Cocoa Pop. Join the 77 WABC VIP Club by downloading the app or going to WSRadio.com. VIP. Enter now for this week's 77 WABC VIP Club Prize. Ready for this? Get to talk sports with me, Sid Rosenberg, on Sid and Friends in the Morning. That's right. Get to talk sports with me. All you uh, have to do is go sign up for the WABC VIP prize. Download the app today. Talk sports with me. More details coming up 
tomorrow. Great show today, Andrew. What do you do the rest of today to celebrate the great presidents of this country? I'm going to do a few podcasts. I don't know if we have oh, today? presidents. I'm going to do a couple podcasts, which will be coming out, because Not That Andrew is a new podcast available from Red Apple Media. Uh, you know, look, the name Andrew, as we said before, it's been tarnished over the last few years with Prince Andrew and Andrew Cuomo. So we got to so, bring yeah. back we got to make Andrews great again. My All goodness. right. There we have it. Andrew Giuliani back tomorrow and, of course, doing his podcast today. Lou Rapino also back tomorrow. Great job in his stead today by Justin Ellick, who happens to run a great board. Great board. Uh, terrific job, Justin. As always, Macedonia Bill. Fantastic. Your presidential knowledge is second to none. It's none, I think. It's none. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, none. What, it's none. Where's the gain? What do I gain from this? Yeah. What do you gain from what? From anything. From knowing anything, except for, like, basketball. You, so. gain, you gain nothing. I agree with you 100%. This is deep and philosophical. I think touch on this tomorrow. <laughs> I like yeah. Ben Buren. He was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Noam Layden, great job today. Thank you, Noam, as always. And uh, Noam's Nuggets was great, too. Delicious. We'll all be back again, God willing, at 6 o'clock a.m. tomorrow on a Tuesday. If you're home, enjoying the day off. Enjoy it. We'll talk again tomorrow. Until then, from all of us to all of you, peace. <laughs> You talk, we listen. 77 WABC.